I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello! Listen, you smell something? Put that cookie down! Hello and welcome back to the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers, and it's a welcome back for the last time. You heard that right. This is the series finale, um, and in true fashion, who doesn't love to end things on a top 10 list? So we're doing a top 10 films of 2020, the year that was interesting to say the least. Uh, we'll have some... Uh, so Josh is recording separate from us here, but in the studio we have our wonderful returning guest, Mr. Peter Gray. Hello, hello. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember picking... I think that was my pick, and then Chance's was the Ghostbusters one, and Josh's was the Put the Cookie Down from the intro. Those were the salad days. That was like uh, a few years ago now, but uh, we've had a big break anyway between this episode and the last one. <laughs> uh, uh, but we'll, we'll be like working on future projects and, and not quitting podcasting. I'm doing like a fiction podcast like a horror narrative audio yes. drama thing. So I'm I'm going to spend more time focusing on that. That's going to occupy a lot of time as well as writing scripts and maybe a book. That does <laughs> not surprise me at all. <laughs> it's going to be hopefully cool. But we are doing a top 10 of 2020 films. And uh, anyone who's heard our previous ones, we have our little... Uh, pattern that we go, we go honourable mentions, and then we do in groups of three up to our final one. Um, and I'll be, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll start with you, and we'll go you, me, and then I'll throw to Josh's recordings, and then we'll come back and and keep going there. So I guess we should just stick into it because there's. I tried to limit my top ten. I actually found this year. I don't know about you. Did you find this year it was good? Like, I found this year really hard to narrow down, and I think it's funny because everyone's like, oh, the like the cinemas closed. Like you'd have nothing to do. I'm like. Um, busiest year ever. Right. Like, because I think so many, so many studios and so many companies are like, no, we want our movie to be seen. So we really need to extend this out to the media. Yeah. Oh, so okay. I was yeah, seeing yeah. things that in a normal year probably never would have seen. Yeah. And you got your South by Southwest. You're I wearing got, the shirt uh, now. <laughs> and I got like, and I got Sundance the other day, which That's is so cool. Very exciting. And did you do another one? Did you get TIFF as well? Um, I didn't get TIFF. I got the AFI festival oh nice and i did new york uh tribeca as well right oh um, sweet so this year's been like yeah it's i was like i know that everyone's you know, i guess being online it led them open it, it up really properly. did um so now i'm just hoping that that'll transfer to physical when whenever ever physical <laughs> things come, come back. back but yeah <laughs> but no i found that too i found like with, without studio films in the way i got to see a lot of tiny little itty bitty films Way more films directed by women mm-hmm. came to the forefront, and it's telling that you have to get rid of studio films in order to do that. Way more queer films. Yes, queer cinema was like on fire. It just this year. thrived in twenty twenty. So yeah, because it's that always up. been in those spaces always, yeah. anyway, and it's just because no one's has the time because they're busy watching, you know. And they're like, we can't give these monies any movie to promote, but now you're like, well, you we probably should <laughs> because we're usually we're quite well. Um, 
reviewed as well. Queer cinema has been like up always up in the echelons this yeah. year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, I guess, what are your honourable mentions, Peter? Well, I'm going to just quickly sort of be a bit unorthodox, but one of my honourable mentions will be I saw these this great little selection of short films that were from South by Southwest. Oh, cool. Um, one of them has actually been commissioned to become a full-length movie, mm. so it'll be kind of cool to see what that how that ends up. But, yes, um, so one of them was called... Selfie, which is the one that's getting nice um, extended, uh, and you know, it's I mean, it's really telling because it's like people that are on TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram how they present this certain image to the world, right. and the the movie is like just basically saying how damaging that is, and it's all about this girl who takes photos of herself and then she like augments the photo so that she looks more perfect, right, and then the the photo and that image like comes to life and basically like murders her. Oh and wow! It's, and it's all about like how your image can destroy yourself. And it was like five minutes long, and it was that's cool. It's so creepy, and I'm so glad that this one's getting you know made into a feature length because it's a Blumhouse be, one. Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they it latched onto that really well. Um, but yeah, like it was just and usually short films. I'm kind of like you know you can give a can give or take, but I was like, you know what, I'm gonna gonna yeah. see these, and they were just some of the. I was like, these are the filmmakers that we need to be behind yeah. because they've got limited budget and a limited time, but they know how to make every bit yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So is that your honorable mention? Uh, well, and then one of my other honorable mentions probably is Birds of Prey. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> that'll be making an appearance. <laughs> oh my god, that movie was just like I really thought it was gonna be. I mean, it's just it's just out of the top ten because there were actually a lot of great little things that right. came through. But you know, in a year when we didn't have too many superhero movies, <laughs> oh no! Um, I remember when there was an article that said like this will be the first year in X amount of years that no Marvel film has been released, and we're like, thank God. You're like, <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, but no, like I just love that they gave Kathy Yan and Margot Robbie very much free reign. Like this yeah. isn't a typical. DC, you know, structured movie. I just love that they went for an R rating. Candy coloured, um, violent. Like, hilarious. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry, if you're going to give Ryan Reynolds a Golden Globe nomination for Deadpool, you should be giving a Golden Globe nomination for Margot Robbie. Yeah, for this. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%, 100%. Uh, but, like, that won't happen because... <laughs> no, no. Why would it? Remember they were talking about cancelling the Oscars? I'm like, why? Because you're finally getting some really great yeah. films up in there? Like, um, we don't we don't feel sorry for you that you have more to choose from because now you might actually see that there's great stuff out there Yeah, that yeah. you actually have to watch because we all know that the Academy don't watch all the movies that they're meant to. They don't. They just watch the ones that get the most buzz and then just vote for them. Some yeah. of them don't even watch and they just vote anyway. Oh. Have you ever seen those... Uh, a anonymous Oscar voter mm. and you just want to just stab your eyes well, out when you the read the fact that like last year like it was I was very I was very much a barracker for Jennifer Lopez getting nominated for Hustlers, Hustlers. I did not make that a secret at all <laughs> um, and you know they had this a quote from one of the Academy voters who was just like well I'm not going to watch a a stripper movie <sighs> and you're like it's not a stripper movie. It's Goodfellas just set in a strip club, which yeah. would probably get people to watch it. Yeah, if, if it you, was men. Yeah. You know. If you haven't seen Hustlers and you think it's just a stripper movie with Jennifer Lopez, it's not. No. 
It's so much more than that. It's a really good It's movie. really great. Uh, so my honourable mentions, I tried to limit my list. I actually culled <laughs> like five off this. It's long. Yeah. Um, I have uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, mm-hmm. which is a Viola Davis, Netflix, Chadwick Boseman one. And it's just, it's based on an August Wilson play. And it tells, I really like that it tells the story of just like one day. Have you seen this one? I have. Yes. Yeah. It just tells this one day in the studio recording thing. And then all of this sort of stuff happens. And it's very play based. It is. I was watching going, this is very much a play. But I didn't really care that much yeah. because they, they, they put these like cinematic uh, scaffolding around it. Like mm. with the way they cut away, to, you know, when someone's doing a speech and they start cutting away to just these people on the street or something like that, I found that really good. And I kind of, I like theatre anyway, so I don't, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't like, this is bad, it's just a filmed play, which yeah. is what everyone seemed to be complaining. And Chadwick just throw the Oscars at him. Like, <sighs> yeah. And like, I mean, rest in peace. Let's hope that there, there, there isn't the conversation that he's only getting nominated because he, he passed died. away. I'm like, he would be in the race which they regardless. Which they say to Heath Ledger. <laughs> no. So, yeah. Um, and Viola Davis too, like she's not a prominent in that film and yet she dominates it oh. despite having like next to no screen time. And like for some reason I was just like, I can't hear the word Coca-Cola without thinking of Viola Davis now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was queer too. It, I was didn't know that about Ma Rainey, which goes to show, but like I was like, oh, this is a queer film too. In yeah. A way, in a lot of ways. In, yeah, which is, you know. <laughs> yes. Suck it. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, next up, yeah, Dating Amber. Have you seen this one? I have not. It is an Irish school high school film about um, a gay boy and a gay girl who then fake date each other to get the students off their back. And it is joyful and it, it it has an energy to it that I feel is like lacking from a lot of like modern high school movies that are yeah. trying to be, you know, Fault in Our Stars-esque, intense and dramatic. Yeah. Um, written and directed by David Frayne and it's pure joy. The, the actress in it whose name has escaped me right now, she's fantastic in it. Okay. It is just it, like one of my favourite sort of queer films and it was really hard because this was in my top ten and then got knocked yeah. down, down um, along with Breaking Fast <laughs> which is in my honourable mention. Will, uh, will this be making an appearance yes, later? It will. Yes, it yes. will. Yes, it will. Well, I won't tell to say too much but um, written and directed by Mike Moslem and it's the Ramadan gay rom-com that we needed. Yes. <laughs> you never knew you needed. Yes. Uh, it's wonderful. And I just spent that whole movie with like a shit-eating grin on my face. Yeah. Like, I loved it. I loved it from beginning to end. I was so thankful I got to see it through um, Q Screen, the the Sydney Queer Film Festival. Yeah. Um, they did it online, and so I was actually able to screen these things. I really hope that these festivals do online permanently now because I hate that I can't access them from Brisbane, which <sighs> never plays anything until like a year and a half later. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm, I've, I think we're, yeah, we're in the sort of the middle of a big change. Like, obviously, we want physical festivals to come back. And we were very lucky that we actually got Biff physically this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think that they should keep the online option for people that... For critics that, as well. Yeah, it, gets, for, it only yeah. gets more publicity. Yeah. You know? um, host is, is one of my next ones, which is the horror one, the one that lasts like 50 minutes. Yes. And it was just a slice of, oh, I didn't realize you could do this and that's what a movie could be and it can be fun and scary and creepy and cool and, and incredibly like topical because of zoom because yeah. no one knew who zoom not zoom was before 2020 yeah uh and i'm so glad they've got now like a three picture deal with blumhouse can't yeah. wait to see what they do yeah um gretel and hansel and this was so this one was oh. the last one to leave my top 10 list because yeah. i it's sort of a lot of people it seems to be divisive a lot of people don't love it but um it's sort of this synth 
amber lit retelling of Hansel and Gretel mm. from Osgood Perkins, who I haven't seen anything else he's done. Yeah. Apparently he's quite divisive. I, yeah. All I really know about him is he's Anthony Perkins' son. Oh, wow. And he was really weird in Legally Blonde. And that's Who's he in Legally Blonde? He's, oh, he's like, the tall, he's the... The awkward guy. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well, Gretel and Hansel is fantastic and it's got the... It's Sophia Lillis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. The actress from It. It, yes. Uh, and I loved this. It's so beautifully... Every frame could be like a, a Rembrandt painting up yeah. on it, hanging on a gallery wall. It's beautifully done and it's very... It leans very hard on fable and fairy tale things. Like even... Much like The Witch, the dialogue is heightened to a okay, way that's yeah. very which unnatural. would add to the divisiveness yeah, because yeah. we all know how people felt about The Witch. Yes. <laughs> um, I've got uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Ah, uh, yeah. Again, this was on my top ten, but I, I, I hate... I hesitate to say it's a great film because it's not like pop on the popcorn and enjoy this thing. This is just going to make you horrendously uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I struggled with this one. It's It'll make an appearance later on, but it was, yeah, I... It's there's hard so, there's to so watch. Much it's to so talk hard about. to watch. But Eliza Hitman, who did, um, have you seen Beach Rats? Yes, yes. She, same director. And yeah. when I saw Beach Rats, I'm like, yep, 100. percent Let's go and watch. And then before I saw this one, I saw her first film, which is called It Felt Like Love. And okay. just like this one, it is horrendously uncomfortable. And yeah. she, I like that she's just going to go there, yeah. and and not care. But a phenomenal lead performance. Phenomenal lead performance. Oh my god, yeah. Um, and if you, anyone hasn't seen Eliza Hitman stuff, Beat Rat is on Netflix in Australia at the moment. Be, uh, Netflix or it's on Netflix or Stan or yeah, yeah like it's on. It's definitely on it's, one of the streaming it's services. Very good and very queer and wonderful. Yeah, um, I have the Surrogate. <laughs> Written directed by Jeremy Hirsch. Yeah, the surrogate. I this is another film that's oh gonna make my people God, conflicted. But what a lead performance. What a lead performance. She she should be up there with Viola and up there with all these people. She's not going to be, which is a no. shame. Because she just own like owns that film and those scenes and she's so good in it and I want to see her do like literally anything. Because yeah, I saw this uh, with South by Southwest and it was one of those ones that like I they offered like they offered it to me and I was like, Yep, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it not knowing like yeah. literally nothing. Because like South by I'm pretty sure South by was where it like first screened. And I was sitting there going like you just want to tell you just want to be like just shut up but at the same time no I I she completely has a point. But you have a point. <laughs> but then like they have a point too because you understand their struggle with not necessarily wanting to have a child that could and have Down maybe syndrome. Maybe not having the finances, you know, to deal like with you it get properly, it. But it's know. just so you're on you're on both of their yeah. sides. But it doesn't have a black and white. No, it's just all great. But like was, Jasmine Bachelor is yeah. her name, and she's phenomenal. But, oh my god, some of those conversations, you're just sitting there going, like it's literally like you're a fly on the wall, and you're just yeah. like, oh, I need to look away, but I can't because yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I almost was in part of the post crowdfunding campaign for this. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Jim Cummings, who did uh, Wolf of Snow Hollow and all that, yeah, he yeah. Um, was helping uh, uh, Jeremy Hirsch sort of put together that and, and helping spruik that kind yeah. of thing. But I, the lead performance in that, like, yeah. It's it's worth the movie, even if you don't like it, the movie as a whole. And then even perfect. if you and then even if you don't like her character, you can't. You, there's no way that you can say that's a bad performance. No, like, no, like no. The, Probably the reason that you hate her so much is because she's so great at yeah, what she does. Yeah, it's yeah. top five performances, not yeah. male female, just top five performances of the year. For and me. again, queer cinema. Yes, <laughs> yes, a hundred and ten percent. Yes, um, the assistant. 
another one of those horrifically. Un- Am I stealing your top tens or no? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> but like all the movies you're mentioning, Ella, were all ones that were just like horrendously uncomfortable. Oh, this one. and and I'm hearing that um, Julia Garner is her name is sort of being oh, tossed around, so. and I really hope so. So it, this one, for anyone who doesn't know, tells the story of basically a day in the life of an, a, a PA at an office of a very, very thinly veiled Harvey Weinstein like, analogue. There's there's no way that you can watch this and go, oh, this has nothing to do. It's like, it's absolutely different. And they refer Weinstein. to him as him. As him. The, and and you never see him in the film. And you, but you, and you but, feel uh, him you, in every, his presence hear, is there. You yeah, you hear, hear him, him and you see him like in silhouette. And in he's horrible when you hear him. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then he's so mani- like manipulative when he forget, like when he's like, I'm sorry. And, and makes her apologize by email. Oh. And then the bit where the guys go over her shoulder to tell her how, how to, to I just wanted to like shrivel up. But this has one of the best sort of wordless character introductions since There Will Be Blood. And I'm annoyed that like more people aren't talking about like that aspect of it because she films almost, uh, what's the name? Kitty, Kitty, Kitty Green. Green films the thing almost entirely in just static shots, the mm. whole movie. And then there's occasional dollies, but it's all just the static frames, yeah. perfectly framed. Um, and just a brilliant wordless character introduction. She gets in and sets everything up and and does the coffee. It's so fantastic. Yeah. Again, another one of those fly-on-the-wall sort of ones where, yeah. Yeah. And then we get a beautiful cameo from a very beautiful actor in the elevator. Yes. Oh, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got Disclosure, the documentary from Netflix, Uh, um, about trans representation in media. Uh, It's it's vital viewing. It's, It's... just you gotta watch it yeah never more so in 2020 (laughs) yeah and it would make a really great double feature i don't know if you've seen the documentary the celluloid closet i haven't but i it's about just representation of sort of um gay uh, relationships portrayed in media and it makes like a perfect double feature with that one just because it's the same shape of a a film as well it's just fantastic um Ammonite, which is maybe a controversial pick because a lot of people didn't like it. Um, and for the most of the viewing, I wasn't sure where I sat. I was like, oh, kind of, is this it? And then the last five minutes happened and just destroyed me. I was like, oh, oh, because it, yeah. it, it managed to acknowledge things in it that I've seen in other versions of this age gap, same-sex romance period thing that don't get acknowledged in it. Yeah. And that final frame was that stuck with me in the little piano piece that plays over it just has haunted me since I've watched the damn film. So I had to like put it on there for that. Yeah. And the fantastic sex scenes as always, Francis Lee, <sighs> Francis Lee doesn't hold back and he makes them really character based like he did in God's own country. And I'm just like, oh, you God. know, just fantastic. Like you can't, like if, if someone's going to put a sex scene in a film, watch those, watch his work. And that's the bar, you know? And then we maybe we can stop all these conversations about how unnecessary sex scenes are. Yeah, in like cinema. if you're not comfortable watching with your family, don't watch it with your family. And it's no longer a hot take, people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> saying that you don't understand. I think you sex. saw that go yeah. viral this morning. I'm like, you're like the fourth person that has said this. Yeah, so it's not new. And there are many movies where watch, the sex yeah, is actually a Disney film with your family. Yeah, if you where not, the sex you is know. actually vital to, to the story. The, to the story. sex is a part of life. It's so, the reason people exist. I won't have this yeah. nonsense. Um, and then the last of my honourable mentions is The Personal History of David Copperfield, ah. directed by Armando Iannucci. I actually had a blast with this one and I came to it later. I only watched it like a week ago. And I just thought it was really joyful in a way I hadn't seen in a lot of other movies this year, other than like uh, Dating Amber and Breaking Fast. It was yeah. just kind of joyful and there and it was shot really well and it's just basically this revolving door of all the British character actors that you love and I love Tilda in this. Oh my god. She's so good. 
Yeah, she this smushes her face up against the glass like her first shot in. I was just like, this was like I, this was one of the this was one of the first movies I saw back in the cinema. So right. we had we had received the invite to see it just before lockdown. Mm. So the screening was cancelled, and then it was a case of we didn't know. Like it, it felt like it could have been one of those movies that they just then cancelled the theatrical release. Like, it yeah. could have just gone straight to streaming or straight to DVD or whatever. Um, but then, then it came out and I saw it in the cinemas. And, yeah, it was like, again, I knew nothing about it. Yeah. It was... I was like, this is this is weird and, and kind of cool. funny. And I can understand why purists will reject it yeah. because I'm like, this isn't... Like, if you're thinking it's going to be very traditional British costume British, you know it's like it's not at all but I love the scene transitions how he moves from one scene to another yeah. like, e- even just the opening when he goes from the theatre into the field and then the people from the theatre are still there with like the lights and the podium yeah or, or you know like the, the wall will blow away as a sheet and then you're suddenly at a beach or something like that I just I thought those were inspired scene yeah. transitions that really kind of elevated the piece and it was great to see Dev Patel just smashing it like yep. I, I can't wait for the green night oh <sighs> I should have top I, ten I, of next year. I, <laughs> I would have seen the Green Knight if South Ugh. by hadn't. Such you know what? Shame. If Ameri- if the pandemic, whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now we'll throw to Josh. Josh, what were your honourable mentions? Hello, it's me, Josh, the other co-host of the Mighty Motion Pitch Rangers, kicking us off into listing our favourites of the year that has been 2020. I thought I would first give a few honourable mentions. Now, my list may not be as comprehensive as I would like to to it as been this year, simply because this year has been rough, very rough, on all of us, and I don't, we haven't been out to the movies much, we haven't seen many new things, we drew back into old comforts, old favourites, reliable pieces, and so, but funnily enough, on the flip side of that, a lot of my list features horror because that's the most cathartic genre of all, in my opinion. But anywho, without further ado, here's a few of my honorable mentions. The first film my honorable mentions is Scare Me, directed by Josh Rubin, which you may know from College Humor fame. The film stars himself and, if you've watched Amazon Prime's The, the Boys, Aya Cash, one of the villains featured in that show, or superheroes, if you will. The film also stars Chris Chris Red and Rebecca Drysdale. Essentially, the film is an anthology horror story set in the wilderness, in a cabin in the woods during a snow blizzard, and it's about two strangers: one a famous or newly famous horror writer, and one an aspiring horror screenwriter telling stories to scare each other. During during the film, it and in my opinion, this is one of the best. It came to a strange shutter, um, October 1st actually, and I instantly just fell in love with it. The way it comments on just sort of ownership over stories and authorship and like a voice and just in many ways sort of people who don't know how to tell stories or do who don't actively, people who don't actively write or try and write stories themselves who don't realise how complicated it is and who feel that they are owned fame and owned um, praise for their stories and who try to dictate things. And this is very much 
uh, a response to Twitter, how Twitter currently, how people respond to films, respond to art on Twitter. And I feel like it was very effective, um, excellent use of sound design, and just, like, and for, like, a second feature, or maybe even directorial debut, I feel like the scope and how small and confined it was, but how much they got out of the space was amazing, and the performances. So, kudos to Josh Rubin for that. And while I didn't wind up on my main list, it was pretty darn close. The second film on my honorable mentions list is Synchronic, directed by Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. Um, their film, they're the filmmakers of other sort of science fiction, sort of time-related films, such as like Spring and Resolution and The Endless, which sort of loose trilogy. And this film itself it concerns like two New Orleans paramedics which where their lives are ripped apart by this new drug, um, or synthetic drug called Synchronic, which sort of has like otherworldly effects and sort of time effects. Uh, the leads of the film are Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan, and my god, Anthony Mackie is amazing in this film, and his performance and the, and the emotion he sort of reaps when this is... Benton and Moorhead are known for their really small budgets and what they can get out and squeeze out of every penny they got and it is more evident on display in here their their use of transitions and camera work and editing is just simply astounding and the fact that they predominantly do it all themselves is is they're in another league i greatly admire their process the way yeah the way they move the camera the way they move like use the edit and use the performances and even though it's a lot of handheld moments that feel in other films would feel cheap or lesser than, like they really get great use out of it in this film. And I highly recommend it. It is a trippy ride, something greatly enjoyable. The next film on my honorable mention is Christopher Nolan's Tenet. And we sort of already know what the premise of this film was, or at least know the inkling around it. It's like it's about time, of course, and about Inversion. It's Christopher Nolan. Of course, it's about fucking time. Um, the film stars John David Washington as the protagonist. Uh, Robert Patterson, Elizabeth Debicki, Kenneth Branagh. I really dug this film. I know it's very um, divisive right now, but I don't know. I had a good time. There was, of course, I noticed the sound issues or the sound mix that we saw when we saw it in cinemas. Because luckily in Australia, we got to see it in the cinemas because it was all safe to do so and but other than that awkward mix like I was blown away by like the action the set pieces the sort of scope and scale like I feel like this sort of delivered on all levels for me and I could pick it apart for the many instances of like the dramaturgy of how Chris Felsen uses you know Chris Felsen's approach to you know, women in these films and all of that, but aside from that kind of glaring issue, it worked. This may be on Shane's or Peter's or Zane's list, but it's certainly on mine, or at least in my honourable mentions, which holds equal sway, in my opinion. The next film on my honourable mentions is Bloody Hell, directed by Alistair Grierson. Um, and it's, for those who don't know, it's actually... A local production, I managed to see this in the cinema with Shane, which we were lucky to do so because it was dead quiet. And 
I did not know what I was getting into. I did not know anything about this film going in, and it kind of blew my mind. It was like a grand mix of genres, something I've never seen for sort of an Australian-based production before, and I had such a good time. This just, like, ticked every, nearly every box for me in terms of, like, blending and mixing of genres of, you know, establishing multiple tones and just really just fucking with the audience, having a good time, inserting moments that shouldn't work but really making it pay off, like, nah. And just the the edit, the direction, the performances, everything. This could have fell apart so easily, but because all of those technical instances and the dramaturgy was just tightly wound just enough, it just worked, and I was immensely happy. Oh, and I guess I should elaborate too that it is... Essentially, it's a man who travels to a foreign country to sort of escape his his past, and then he gets kidnapped, and where it goes from there, or where it came from before that, is up for you to discover. Very nice picks. I haven't heard them yet, but I will when I hear them and put edit this together, I suppose. <laughs> so, uh, I, so now we're on the top tens, and we'll do these in groups of three going around. Um, so I guess, uh, Peter, what are your top ten, nine, and eight? So number ten is the aforementioned Breaking Fast. Yes. Um, number nine is yep. Promising Young Woman. Oh, interesting. Did you? So you liked it? I did. Um, I understand people that don't because the ending. Well, let's, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much we can spoil, but like, because I, I saw yes. this in cinema and I liked it, but then I was kind of like, I know, part of me felt like it was trying to validate what had happened in the end as being a positive thing, yeah. not a, a thing that happened in spite of these things that went wrong, and I, I. I don't know that I liked that. I loved sort of what it was doing and I loved how like blunt it was about yeah. things. Um, I also, the one thing is though, the way everyone talked about this movie, I expected the first 90 minutes of this thing to be like horrifically uncomfortable and violent. And then to find out that maybe it wasn't quite as bloody as it was implied to be, yeah. I, was, I was sort of like, Oh, okay. And had to recalibrate halfway through the yeah, film. Yeah, I think that's one thing that if you're if you're gonna go see this movie thinking it's a female revenge, like like I bloody mean, violent, like her, yeah, stuff. like a like Kill Bill. Like if yeah. you think she's going to be like ripping men apart, then just check your expectations because yeah. it's not. Um, I was the like I saw it, and the ending really threw me, and. It was more in reflection when I was like, you know what? I, to me, because it was a case of one of those stories where things don't end the way that you expect them to. Yeah. And I kind of went, yeah. I, okay. I genuinely appreciated, because when that happened, I was like, where does this go? Yeah. And I was kind of left hanging and that's kind of the point of the movie. Yeah. And I like that in movie. I like being surprised in a movie, not sort of being ex- getting the expected beats yeah. all the time, but I, I, I wasn't sure where I, I feel like I'll probably watch it again to yeah. maybe get a better sense of what No, I like, it was one of those ones that when it, when it ended, I was like confused and sort of, Oh, I don't know how I feel about this. And then I started thinking about it and I started writing my review. And as I wrote, I was realizing how I was just like kind of praising it. And yeah. really I was like, Oh, and I, I don't think it, 
I don't think it um it's like it it was sta- it, to me it stayed true to who she was. Yeah. It was a case of she wanted a specific outcome and she was sort of willing to do whatever and accept yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um it's very hard to talk about it because Without it has it has it. it will come out in cinemas January 7th. We got like a one off. Did you go to the one off? No, we had a earlier earlier screening oh, of nice. it. Yeah. Lucky. Um So yeah, I think it'll be one of those movies that um will probably have there'll be a lot more conversation about it once yeah. people see it more. Um you know, it might even be one of those Wonder Woman things where it's early early word is good and then it's out there for the public and all of a sudden it's trashed beyond belief. Oh this whole God. idea of like the immediacy of movies coming and then like I think that's the one downside to just releasing on streaming straight away is that yep. it's immediately dissected yep. and pulled apart. And I kind of found it like funny that I was like, oh, so all the people you gave the movie to watch early and then the movie that everyone else like when it went out to everybody and then all of a sudden that's when the critic rating dropped i was like well there's a reason that that's happening because you i don't know how many much you people are actually critics per se yes but anyway. yes 100 percent. yeah unlike a lot of critics see and I, what I, I was just thinking about this because there's all these critics who like watch a movie and then they destroy it and then they go on whereas you will even watch movies that you don't like or didn't like the first time you'll try to reassess things mm. and that's like why aren't all critics doing like, that? Like, yeah, I like, you know, I mean, there'll be some movies that I will not like. And then it, and I usually still, I try to sort of be like, you know what, this wasn't for me, but there will be an audience out there for it. Some movies I'm just like, I just, I can't mm-hmm. at all. Um, but no, like, I think if we see a movie the first, like, cause obviously when I'm watching it the first time, I'm dissecting it in my head. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, but I need to, I do like to see something if I can yeah. see it a second time before I can put my review out. Yeah. Um, or even just not like writing your not, review while you're watching the movie yeah. or something um, like No, that. but I, yeah, I try to be as objective as, mm. as I can. It's not always no, easy. Fascinating. But, yeah. Fascinating thing. Um, and number eight is Run. <gasps> the Sarah, Sarah Paulson. Paulson one. Very nice. Yeah. I saw this one. I had way more fun with it than I thought I would. Yeah. Because it's super Hitchcocky. Yeah. It was just really intense and yeah. everything. And like I that. just, I mean, Sarah Paulson, unhinged Sarah Paulson yeah. is just oh, the oh, best. For those who don't know, it's, oh. it's, it's telling the story of um, uh, a young girl who had a troubled birth and she's in a wheelchair and, and, and got a, a host of medical things, but she slowly begins to discover that it's... Munchausen's by proxy. Yeah, I don't think that's a spoiler to say. No, I mean um, you've you're very very this is much, a bigger twist. Yeah, you're very on. much tuned in that there's something not yeah. quite right with the mother who's yeah. played by Sarah Paulson. Um, yeah, th- as the movie goes on and little things are revealed, and then there's like a bigger reveal which we won't talk about because I want people to just yeah. go. I want people to go into this movie as Where's blind it as playing possible. in Australia. Um, I don't know. It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Which is right, Cause I've got my Apple TV set up to be yeah. in America. So then I, I, watch I it don't actually think in Australia, like in Australia, if you're not like getting it from America, I don't know where it's playing. I'm assuming it'll, I wouldn't be surprised if it rocks like, up on Stan or Amazon something. or Stan. Um, I did briefly hear that it, they were trying to get a cinema release in Australia Ooh. just because so many streaming things are getting a release in Australia, which I think is yeah, great. I love like that. Happy season, Hulu, yeah. cinemas in Australia. And that's what I thought. Uh, went to know. number one at the box office, by the way, in that's Australia. Great. So yay, Australia. Love that. Um, but no, I just, I, I was on the edge of my seat. I just, yeah. And it's like, 
like 80 minutes. It's like super tight. And I love that they, uh, this is notable because it's the first time a wheelchair using actor has been like, cast as a wheelchair she's using actually, character. Yeah, I was like, that's in the film. Insane. And she's there doing stunts and everything. Like, when she's on top of the roof, the house yeah. is like, oh my I God. I was like, oh, you're, uh, you're not like, it's not just an actress in a wheelchair. Like, that's who you, and then it's, and she, her performance is incredible. It's incredible. It's you incredible. Know? So good. Um, I loved that. Yeah. It, it was, was so good. It was, yeah, it was just a really nice little surprise. Thriller. Yeah. Like, if you're a fan of like thrillers, tense yeah. thrillers, yeah. Loved it. my mum loved it. She loves anything about Munchausen's by proxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was just, she was, she hugely loved it. And not, like not, if you're not, if it's not overly violent, it's just, it's just intense. Like it's just intense. Yeah. You're always sitting there going, oh, something's going to happen. Like, oh, don't do that. Oh, like when she's at the, <laughs> yeah. when she's at the. Cinema. The, uh, the cinema. And then she goes to the oh, no. the pharmacy and you're That's like, so oh my God. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I want everyone to see this movie. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my 10, uh, my number 10 is a tie and it's the only tie. I tried to avoid them, but there was just a few too many good ones. Um, one who, which I know will come up later on your list um, is Possessor. Mm. But written and directed by David Cronenberg, son of Brand, uh, no, Brand- oh, wait, Brandon yeah. Cronenberg, son <laughs> of, of David, David Cronenberg. Um, and it's this sci-fi, gory, body horror thing. I- I've got the plot summary. Uh, so it follows an agent who works for a secretive organization that uses brain implant technology to inhabit other people's bodies, ultimately driving them to commit assassinations for high-paying clients. This I mean, movie- that... Oh. that- plot outline right there is enough like to be like yeah. wow but the movie itself it, and it does interesting things and stylistic things i love how they do like you know when they do the first transfer yeah. through the body and there's like melting faces and everything oh i found God, out the they did face. a tremendous amount of it in camera you know the floating particle bit yeah. that was done practically they sonically levitated a piece of styrofoam wow no he's like you you can you're like you're definitely David Cronenberg, yeah, son. because this is violent. Oh, my God. Like, I was like, I, I knew that this was going to be violent, yeah. but at the same time I was like, oh, this is... Like, the opening yeah. five minutes alone, I was like, yeah. well, if this doesn't get an R rating, I don't know what will. And I was like, yes. You watch Possessor Uncut? Yes. Yes. Oh, good. Which, I haven't seen the other one. Which is like, oh. Supposedly, though, the differences are the inclusion of penis. Not the not uh, not our our future husband um, Christopher Abbott Christopher Abbott, but uh, the the dream sequence penis. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, that one's the one that they can cut we please out. have more male nudity in cinema? Thank yes, you very much. Please, um, fantastic performances, super <sighs> subtle, brilliantly shot, and just the violence again. Like some of it is like it's excellently done yeah. for, for violence on film, especially the fire poker in the, in the oh. mouth. I was just like, no, no. When, Cause when the teeth bow out, I was just like, nearly and, it's vomiting. One, and again, it's one of those movies where you just go, you're watching it going, something really violent is about to happen, but yeah. I don't know when. And then it happens and you go, knew, sort of knew it was coming, still wasn't prepared for yeah, it. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's just a fantastic film. And yeah. I, I, this is going to be a huge cult film. Oh, like, for easy. sure. Um, and then tied with possessor is another sort of, Violent indie uh, Saint Maud, yeah. Written and directed by Rose Glass. Oh, did you not like this? No, one? I. I have. A, it was one of those things where I went to see this at Biff. Yeah, same. And it got about forty minutes in, and then all of a sudden we were like, "This audio is not going with the video." So we were like, "What's happening?" Goma. Ah, uh, no, Elizabeth Picture Theatre. Ah, and then all of a sudden we were like, "Something's gone wrong." And then lights down, screen down. We're like, okay. 
And I sat there and we were there for like 20 minutes. And I was like, I, d- I actually don't know how much longer I can sit here at a 9.30 p.m. screening. Right. That's now already like an hour gone, but we haven't seen an hour of the movie. Then the screen came back on and it had gone back to like, you know, it had gone back 20 minutes. Ugh. And then we were like, I don't know if I can actually speed it up or not. And then it just, the audio again, and I just went, you know what? I'm sorry. <sighs> I, like, I can't actually do shame. this. I went so, and saw their second screening at Newmarket and it was a so great. I, and then I, I toyed with going to see it again, but I was like, oh, I just felt... So, no. I, yeah, I want to see it. I'm so glad I and switched. <laughs> I know that the ending is a bit like, Oof. yeah. It, it has one of the best final edits yeah. I've seen since like all that. I don't know if you've seen all that jazz. Yeah. That, you know how just phenomenal that final cut is? It's yeah. like that kind of yeah. powerful I, thing. Yeah. It's and just, oh, uh, it tells, so it just, yeah, it follows probably. a pious nurse who becomes dangerously <laughs> obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. Which is fair. Um, and again, it was a movie that I'm sitting there going, this is tense as yeah. Like it was great lead performance yeah. again, just, and it's visually, it's insane. Like she starts having these hallucinations things. When, and like, you're never really sure. Yeah. Like you're like, is this actually happening or is she yeah. crazy? Yeah. I love that kind of ambiguity and it was just so tight and it didn't run for too long. And again, yeah. like a movie that ends that strong, like it almost doesn't matter if the rest of the movie was kind of bad because the ending is so like just it's not so much a gut punch as it just like stabs you with a machete yeah. which like. is why i was like i think if the second screening wasn't so close to the screen yeah. that burned me i probably would have gone yeah. but i was like i just and i was like i've already got too much on my plate yeah. so yeah, yeah, I, but yeah, i do yeah. i do want to see cause it i think cuz they were playing they were playing um one of the other films that I wanted to see at the same time as that screening. Yeah. So then I was like, oh, well, I'll do the, the weekday one, you know, yeah. the weekday well, one. Cause I had, I think bloody hell was the one that, yeah. and I went to like the Q and a instead of going to St. Maud. So I was like, I'll go right. to the other St. Maud. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 Um, my number nine is the half of it written and directed by Alice Wu from Netflix. This is a oh. queer teen comedy, but not, it's not the kind of romantic comedy you expect, as she says in the opening um, <laughs> dialogue. So it's uh, when smart but cash-strapped teen Ellie Chu agrees to write a love letter for a jock, she doesn't expect to become his friend or fall for his crush. Aww. And this is a beautiful little film. This was one of those scripts that landed on the blacklist that I've spoken oh, about on the podcast nice. a few times before. Um, and We love a blacklist script. Yeah, they just make really good films. And I'm so happy she directed the script that she wrote as that's, well. Yeah, that's always a, um, always a plus. Yeah, and it's just, uh, this has one of my favourite sort of editing jobs of the films from this year because it's really, it, it reminded me a bit of Lady Bird in the way that oh, the cutting okay. is really intricate but not like in your face kind of, Yeah, I don't know, like, like a Spike Lee movie or something like that. It's, it's it's quite subtle, but it's doing something in, uh, tangible within the, the texture of the story. Brilliant performances. Uh, I just love this. This is like queer queer excellence. This is like another one. I've, you know, this is another top ten with just queer excellence and not the last one either. Yeah. Uh, I loved every bit of it and great performances, but great like young people performances too. Which is always good because we like when young people are played by young yeah. people and have not 30-year-olds. So. Have you seen this one? I haven't. Oh, Put on, th- okay. put on your watch list because yeah. it's just it's well. Really I mean, cool. also like queer cinema. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then my number eight is the now I guess it's an Amazon movie, The Vast of Night. Ah, oh, yeah. Uh, written and directed by Andrew Patterson, and also co-written with Craig W. Sanger, I believe is the name. Um, and this is sort of like a, a 
uh, very um, sort of simplified version of a close encounter of the third kind kind of thing set in the nineteen fifties. That's actually yeah, that's pretty perfect. And they made it up. for like seven hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's set in the nineteen fifties in small town America. Um, and it's there's not a lot of plot to it, mm. but I think again has these fantastic lead young performances. It's shot superbly and, and there's this fantastic long take in the middle of the film that traverses the entire have you seen it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. traverses the entire town and i just loved it kind of going for these things that a lot of people complain about unmotivated camera movement or whatever i'm mm. like i don't give a shit it's a cinema um you're not oh, watching a play you're watching a movie like, all of these movies you're mentioning i was like oh with that we actually had this year was yeah. insane it was full of stuff so um many but movies. one of the moments in it that i thought was really well is this like five minute unbroken take of the main girl at a, a radio uh, like a phone switchboard mm. doesn't cut and she's just I, I was just i wanted to applaud her for that scene i was like that is gonna that it would be one of the hardest because you're just on her you're we just, don't hear yeah, anyone yeah. else oh we hear them but we don't see them we don't cut to the other and side you, of the phone and you're being like that would be that's like you would need to know like every that, switch hole you know like i think some using. people think oh yeah but if they you know, if you make Just a mistake, you'd be like, anyway. no, it's, that's a very yeah. intricate. She had to, to learn do. how, I, I believe I was watching an interview there and she had to learn how to sort of use this switchboard. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, it just tells the story of two kids who sort of run the radio and the, the phone switchboard at their old 1950s um, town. And then strange things start happening in the night and they have to sort of run between places in the town. And yeah. it's just very atmospheric, very cool. Yep. Um, not a lot of plot, but I really loved that about it. And the, it shot so well, yeah. shot spectacularly. Uh, so, yeah, that's my 10, 9, and 8. Josh, we'll hear what his 10, 9, and 8 are right now. The top 10, kicking off, obviously, with number 10. Um, Jim Cummings, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Yes, it's another horror movie on my list, and the first of many on my main list. But The Wolf of Snow Hollow, again, what else can I say? Again, blew me away. I dug the fuck out of this movie. It is a nice, tight, 85-minute, bloody awesome werewolf movie. Um, It's called Goosebumps Adjacent. I got definitely Goosebumps werewolf skin, if you've read that particular Goosebumps books, vibes from it, along with many others. I just... Again, Jim Cummings is the master of blending tones and sort of oddball, skewed humour and genres together, because a lot of this, I understand the criticism of, like, why it couldn't have worked, or why some moments didn't work, but this just is a solid, great visual flourishes, of course. Jim knows how to fucking move the camera, make it interesting. The performances were, across the board, top-notch, because that completely sold the awkwardness, and him, Jim himself, in the lead role, just, I... It's magnetic, absolutely magnetic. And if you haven't heard of it, it's a bloody awesome small town werewolf movie with like great humor, great horror, violence, and just and that's number ten on my list. And it was just an awesome time, and I highly recommend it. Kicking off number nine on my list is Rob Savage's Host. Now, I just talked about how great the tight run time of Wolf Snow Hollow was, but this, this host is a very terrifying edge of a seat, 56 minutes, solid hour, and it blew everyone I know, everyone I've talked to about this, it's been blowing their minds, like, this, what, 
a, and I'm sorry if it isn't your directorial debut, but what a directorial debut, at least for features. I don't know if Rob's done anything else, and I'll love to fact check myself on that later, but dude, this is, there's fucking talent shining through across the board from the directing, the writing, editing, performances. Performances is what makes and breaks this type of picture. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's available on Australia Shutter, but this is all done, recorded, performed, all through webcam, like a Zoom call, because it's made right in smack dang middle of quarantine, near the sort of middle beginning, actually first like, sort of quarter of quarantine. And, God, it's a perfect reflection of, like, where we are right now in terms of horror, like us being all trapped alone, facing an unknown threat, but sort of being connected virtually, but it doesn't get bogged down in the fact, like, the pandemic itself doesn't, like, it, it just, it's just a little, enough sort of, like, hints, enough sort of establishment of all the world we live in and reminders of the world. That's why we're also completely taking us on this journey. And again, yes, it's not a horror film, and it's sort of, it, it, I said before as well, it would be a great pairing, other over, like, Skype calls, um, Unfriended movie from a few years back. At least, if, I haven't seen the second one, but I, I did enjoy the first one. Um, sort of similar in tone and execution as that. This was, like, taken to another level in terms of just, like, even, like, prosthetics and, like, stunts and, like, I don't want to reel too much away, but, my God, host, you want to be scared for 56 minutes, have a laugh as well, like, just plug in host. It's a good time. Not a long time ago. Number eight on my list is Autumn D. Wilds. I'm pronouncing it right. Directorial debut again. My God, lucky Emma. Full stop. Based on Jane Austen's 1815 novel of the same name. Uh, if you're not familiar with the novel, it's essentially about a well-meaning but like selfish sort of young woman who like sort of madly falls in love with one of her friends. It's about you know, this is about that sort of like adventure of love in this sort of time period and it's like incredibly incredibly funny yeah and the movie stars like Anya Taylor-Joy Johnny Flynn Josh O'Connor this so and like I've mentioned before in all my other movie picks so far is this like the cast is pitch perfect for this like they are nailing it 110% and what really struck out to me about this was, like, not just the humour, but the way it wasn't captured in, like, a normal comedic film, even a normal, like, comedic period piece, or just a period piece, like, it was, had such flourish and love behind the lens, and just such a keen eye for everything, and that's what made it stood out as well. It was a grand old time. Watched it, had dinner, like, I made dinner, watched it, sat with my friends, sat with Shane and my partner, and laughed my ass off for two hours. This film also stars Miranda Hart from that, as everyone knows, BBC's Miranda. Go check that out. That's on stand as well. It, She's hilarious in this. She's hilarious in that. She's a hilarious person. Awesome person. And yeah, it doesn't get your ticket for approval. I don't know what will, because this is a great fucking time. And we're back. Peter, what have you got for us for seven, six, and five? So seven is um, never really, sometimes, sometimes always, always, which I didn't know was going to be a top 10 movie. And then again, one of those ones that I reflected on and was like, this, it really, like, it stuck with me. Yeah. And I was like, I would never in a million years pretend to know what these characters are going through. Yeah. I, and I think any male reviewer should just 
either not review it or be super respectful. Yeah. Because this is something that men could never yep. understand. So, I mean, it's about abortion and a teenager's Teen right pregnancy. to choose. And obviously the, the state that she's in doesn't allow it if you're under 18, but in New York it does. So it's like her and a friend take a going, trip. take a trip. And I mean, you sort of read it and it goes like, reading it you could have thought this could turn into kind of like a... A almost a buddy comedy. Which I think there's a, another movie that came out this year called Unpregnant. Yeah, which is basically which the, is the comedy thing. version yeah. of this. But um, this is one of those stark, realist like, This is like, a, like, this is, it's again, it's like very close to being a documentary, just yeah. the way that, um, the way it's shot. Like, everything's so close and intimate. Um, I've never felt more disgusted yeah. the, with the pay window at oh their my work. Gosh. I wanted to throw up when yeah. you see what he does like under the thing. I just I just wanted and you know that's real. You know yeah. that came from someone. And you know story. that the the cousin like you like you've you've dealt like you've experienced yeah. you've you've probably had to do a few Been things. There. Yeah. Did, yeah. Um so and I mean when you hear the title the scene that the title is referenced. That, yeah, I was just about to say the titular, the, the line. Like, because uh, you really so go, never really sometimes always like, what the hell? And you go, just when you know the scene, it's heartbreaking. That scene. And the fact that it never shows yeah. the lead character and it's just the the doctor asking her. Oh, you know, the, the, it's just a hold on her face. Oh, the hold, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, they yeah. don't show the doctor asking yeah. her. That scene and then the scene from the assistant where she goes to make the report. Yeah. Both of those are like two of the most just uncomfortable uh, yeah. things to uncomfortable. sit through and necessary to sit through. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's, and then the, the lead actress, again, whose name has like completely just gone from my head. Yeah. Um, oh, what's her yeah. name? It is. It is. I'm just <laughs> never yeah. really... Uh, Sydney Flanagan. Sydney Flanagan. She has started to win a lot of the smaller critic circle awards. So I would love her to be in contention because this performance is this. Is, like to me, yeah. this isn't a performance. Like this no, is actually it a felt real. Too real. This, like I, like you almost go. Are you an like? Are you one of those people that they've hired just for this movie? Like, are you an actress? Yeah. Um. Yeah. And when it ended, like, I walked out going. I f- I'm like, I was depressed. Like, it was, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, don't go to this, don't watch this movie if you want escapism. Yeah. Pair a comedy after um, It's not one of those movies that you watch to enjoy per se. Yeah. But I guarantee, like, it'll stick with you. Like, there's no way that this movie won't have some yeah. sort of impact on you. Yeah. Um. What are we up to? Number six. Number six. Uh, Monsoon. Nice. Uh, queer cinema. Yay. Yeah. Henry Golding. Yay. <laughs> um, again, this one just, it really took me by surprise. I had no idea what to expect. Basically, I saw it because I love Henry Golding. Yeah. Um, and I just I just loved that it, I, it was one of those movies, again, doesn't, doesn't really have a lot of plot to it. No, I think, see, this is a movie that I didn't click with at all. Okay. I, like, I appreciate what it was and what yeah. it was doing, but I didn't click with it, like, at all, okay. Because I found a lot of it. It felt to me like it was more of a short film with a lot of sort of scenery padding. Yeah. But I understand, like, you know, because that's that genre of film, and I I rarely enjoy the the plotless genre of film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With a couple of exceptions. Yeah. Um. But no, it's it's fascinating. No. I yeah. I just I I just really. I yeah. I just responded to it like I 
I I don't I it's one of the, I don't really know why I loved, I loved the opening shot above the street. I just yeah. found that hypnotic. Um, I don't know. Like it could be because Henry got it. <laughs> I mean, no, he's I mean, oh, beautiful. But I don't know. Like maybe because I know like my my partner and I know like the culture. Right. I think that could have um affected how I looked at it because I I think it's I mean it's one of those things where it's it's difficult if you're you know gay and of that culture yeah um but no i just i just loved i just really got immersed in it i just was like it I'm, does immerse you i'm really happy to just sit here and watch him go about his day walk around the place meeting beautiful men and everything <laughs> so yeah um no it was a nice little a nice little surprise i'm glad it got a release here too yeah um because yeah i saw it with the the Rainbow Celebration. Right. And yep. then Mad Men gave it a little release. And I'm like, yeah. good for you, Mad Men. That's doing doing Mad God's Men work. Awesome. Um, and number five is Soul. Nice. Yeah. Um, just another, just a, like. This is Pixar's This soul. is Pixar's latest movie, which oh, I'm so angry it didn't get a cinema release. Yeah. Um, that would have played really that so well. I feel like it's not going to make as big of a splash. No. Because it's not in the cinema. No. Um, and I think it's one of those movies that feels very relevant for 2020. Beautifully like Really made. reflecting on what you've got with your life yeah. and what you should do and that no day is guaranteed. Um. Visually, this movie this is was one of their best ones. Uh, just some of the lighting, like there's some scenes where I was like, I could take a photo of this, and it looks photorealistic. Like, but it the, doesn't. Yeah, feel weird having an animated character who's exaggerated in the Pixar style the, in the middle of it. Like, yeah, it worked, and I was shocked. Like the, the I think the scene where they're like cutting his hair, and there's just like the strands of yeah. his hair. I'm like, that is detailed. Yeah. Um, and again, like if you've if you've hopefully you've seen this movie, yes, it's on Disney Plus. Um. But I loved that, like, the trailers were literally the first 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And then, I'm not going to spoil it, but, like, something happens. And I was like, this movie just turned into kind of more of a traditional animated movie with the the team up of Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. The buddy comedy thing. The buddy comedy thing when they come, when it's on Earth. Um, But, again, it was, like, super serious then it became really funny and, and then, then it became really like super really and i just was like of course pixar you know breaking your heart all over again because yeah. they can't possibly not do that i feel like it, it, the whole thing about like don't just be obsessed with the thing you do that is not your purpose in life and i'm like i feel like this they're, they're trying to tell me something and i don't want to listen but i feel like i meant i should but i don't want to listen to no, um and like Jay, like jamie fox is great but to me i was like tina fey was mm. just Amazing, yeah. Little twenty-two. I almost didn't because I was like, "Who, who voiced it this?" It doesn't kind of check. It in. doesn't like. I think if you know it's her, you go, "Oh, it's her." Yeah. If you don't know it's her, you sort of like. You probably goes like, "Amy Poehler." Um, yeah. Is it like you go? It's it's definitely like a comedy actress. Yeah. Um, but then you've got like Graham Norton. Um, Unexpectedly fantastic. Rachel House, who, if people don't know, is from. Hunt for the Wilder People. Yes, I knew that. Um, I was like, I was like, I feel like uh, this is her. they they keep her. You know, she's speaking in her New Zealand accent. Her character yeah. is Richard Awad. Uh, oh, it's just like all these little people that are in these really 
bizarre characters. The design in- of those characters too is really cool. They're like line art. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like two D, but it's not two D. Yeah. Um, no, I just thought that, like it's just it was visually beautiful. It really. I think it really speaks to people more so now yeah, because of everything that's happened yeah. in 2020. We've had to so reassess our lives. I think, that, I think that's it. Um, it didn't emotionally ruin me as much as I was expecting. Like to me, I yeah. was, cause to me, I was like inside out is still. See, up did it for me. And oh, then yeah. I, I mean, uh, inside out didn't, didn't do it as much for me. And yeah. soul for me is sort of on the, on par with inside out yeah. for me. Um, I, cause I was sort of all prepared. I was like, yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> because I've shed, a few tears in cinemas this year. I won't lie. Okay. There's been a few times that I was like... I shed tears God. at home with some of these, like, with my number God. number three. <laughs> um, I was like, God damn it. Um, yeah. But no, so this one didn't quite get to me, but it's still just a beautiful, beautiful yeah. movie that I really, really wish got a cinema release, but I understand. Maybe they'll do some retrospective yeah. screenings that yeah. might be worth um, seeing. But I understand the notion of going to... Disney cinema. Plus yeah. because you know, but yeah, what yes. are you going to do? Um, but um, proof that animated movies aren't always for kids. No, I w- I I definitely was no. watching that feeling like I don't think kids would get this at all no. or even laugh at the humor. No, like, it was very much. I was like, this is just an adult movie with animation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so my number seven pick is the aforementioned Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Yay! I had such a blast with this one, and I didn't expect to, but because. Uh, you know, I you know I wanted to support female filmmakers. Yep. I wanted to support sort of the way Margot Robbie had went and put this together, intentionally yeah. being like, we're going to have women run the show. Yeah, and I got the one thing I can say about this that I, I I rarely hear people say is the action scenes in it gave me that feeling of sort of the type of action scenes we haven't seen since the McGee Charlie's Angels. These underrated, by the way, severely underrated. Oh. Um, at, at least the first one. Um, although the second one's not too bad. <laughs> I have a lot of fun with the second one. Um, but that action style where it's really fun and it's referencing some of the more sort of eastern styles, but it's not mm. full blown wire work like a like a Tarantino kind yeah. of thing or something like that. It is just this. It, you know, the scene where she takes the cocaine and then starts <gasps> batting everyone. I was just like, this is great action. Yeah. Run, is- Piggy, run. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Great villains. I loved uh, Chris Messina and Ewan McGregor, Ewan McGregor in this. And I was like, this is a movie that also isn't afraid to, like, the scene where the family's hanging upside down. Yeah. And he's just, like, cut their faces off. And you're oh, also oh, like, God, no. there's a little child. And he's like, oh, you're going to. It's a little ch- okay. Like it was really yeah. just unapologetic. It was yeah. like, this is what people do. Yeah, you and McGregor, who I love that he was very much on the the spectrum of like, is he gay? Is he not gay? Because you sort of him and Chris Messina. I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if that was something there. I liked that ambiguity. Part with of me it. liked. I liked the ambiguity, and I, I liked. There's like a reading of it that said, oh, it's not that he's gay. Chris Messina is. He's not, and he's sort of collected this kind of personality the way yeah. he collects everything else in his thing yeah. because it's fashionable. Yeah. And I found that even more insidious. It's yeah. sort of a nice read Because you met, like, you and McGregor kind of comes off like he would be like, if I have to be gay to get what I want, I would be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I just had so much fun with this. I saw oh, it twice so on cinemas. Fun. This was yep. the uh, last film I saw in a cinema before we then had the break. from Because oh, I watched it a okay. second time in cinemas. I, I watched one of my 
upcoming ones for my number four film was also that, like I watched them back to back in a cinema yeah, okay. when I was in Western Australia for a film festival. Nice. Um, but you know, I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Yeah. Uh, more superhero movies like that, please. Yeah. Um, number six is the 40 year old version. Ah, uh, yeah. On Netflix, written and directed and starring Rada Blank. And it, it covers the story. Oh, I should probably get to the, uh, the story of it. It is, uh, Rada is a down-on-her-luck New York playwright who is desperate for a breakthrough before 40. Reinventing herself as rapper Radimus Prime, she v- vacillates between the world of hip-hop and theatre in order to find her true voice. Um, I didn't expect, my, like, I hadn't heard about this film, but this one, one of the Sundance Awards, mm. Rada Blank, she wrote, directed, produced, starred in, and she's just a fucking powerhouse in this film. She's funny as hell, really talented. There's these really great raps, and I'm so glad she does this sort of rap called Poverty Porn where she's sort of decrying... Have you seen this one? No, not yet. Oh, she's decrying the uh, the way that, like, white people only like black stories when it's, like, poverty porn, when you're watching black people, like, suffering in the poverty, and there's this whole arc where she has to write this play for this, like, rich white guy, and it's the play that comes out of it is just bad in the way that, you, like, you're laughing along with the joke and just yeah. how, like, it, it it's really funny, really brilliant, and I'm so glad they're submitting Poverty Porn to the Academy for oh, Best, Best Original song. song. I'm so happy about that. She's This is one of those great lead performances. The fact that she directed this too, it's shot in this gorgeous black and white widescreen anamorphic yeah. thing, and there's a fantastic supporting performance that's never going to get talked about in the way from Peter Kim, who I'd never heard of before. Mm. And he plays sort of her gay agent or manager and he's sassy and brilliant and funny. And I was just like, where have all these people been? I want to see Mm. everything they do. And she's sort of winning all these like breakthrough artist award. And she's like, I'm nearly 40 and I'm finally, you know, it's it's weird art imitating life because part of the story is she won this like great playwrights under 30 and then that's all she's had until she sort of gets to sort of figure out what she's going to do. But it's on Netflix worldwide Cannot recommend it enough. I just had a, it. It's sort of a. It's feel good, but not in the sh- like a like a hard sort of adrenaline shot of joy. It just you watch it and you feel like you've had like a really great meal, like yeah, all okay. your nutrients, and you've had fun with the flavors and everything like that. It's just perfectly made. Yeah, highly recommend it. Um, and then my number five is the Invisible Man, written and directed by Lee Winnell, which I assume is going to maybe show. Uh, up. it's no, no, it's like it's not in my top ten. It was one of those uh, ones yeah, that it yeah. would have been. It's just this year has... Yeah, I think all crap. these like smaller films have really come out. But, yeah. I mean, Invisible this Man... This is the most studio film I have pretty much yeah. on my list, uh, unless you count the Netflix ones. Um, but, oh so my God, good. this So movie. this is sort of a retelling of The Invisible Man from the point of view of a woman being pursued by an ex who everyone... Uh, like an abusive ex who everyone thinks is dead and she's trying to prove that he's someone he's she can't see. Um, I love this. This played gangbusters with the audience that I went and saw it with. There is a scene, smack bang in the middle, that got just an audible restaurant, restaurant yeah. scene that gets an audible gasp every time this plays in front of people. Mm-hmm. Like that is like top three scenes of the year, just in terms of impact on an audience and with a crowded house too. It was yeah. so fun. So fun. I saw this with my partner, and my partner doesn't he doesn't um, react big to things. Unlike me, I react massively yeah. to, to movies and stuff like that and he jaw on the he gasped and jaw yep. on the floor and that like you don't get sounds like that from him yeah. normally and he adored this it was so good and so fun and give Lee Winnell an unlimited budget yeah he's I mean you look at this like it was a seven million dollar movie yeah. shot in Australia like you look at it and just go like it's it looks like it's ten times that 
you yeah. know. Um, and I was like, I, I agree that this is a movie that an audience, it's definitely an audience movie because I saw this, I mean, I saw it very early um, because I was speaking to Lee Wanell, so I got to see it, and it was literally me and like two other people in the cinema, and That's I was so and, cool. I, and I was like, I feel like I can't make any noise because, you know, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, and and then I and then I went to see it again, and I it, it was a full audience, and I'm glad that that audience stayed quiet when you needed to stay quiet yeah. because silence is utilized so well in that movie. I, I, I hate like I hate and loved how like basically from the get go you put on the title The Invisible Man and then you have this camera like moving without anything in the frame and now you're looking in the frame yep. for something to happen and then for she, the whole movie. She hits the bloody dog bowl and it scares the crap out of yes. you. Yes. Um and yeah, like this one I, I I honestly think I don't think people were expecting this to be as good as, as it good was. as it was, yeah. like, they're like Invisible Man from the guy that did like wrote Saw. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I like I love that they because he was very much like if we're making Invisible Man, he's like we're doing it from the point of his victim. Although, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. we're not making this the Invisible Man where he's the main character. Yeah, you know, and I love that they did that. Yeah, and made her like who we're behind, and the whole movie you're just like she's telling the truth. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's fantastic. And Elizabeth Moss, my god. Yeah, uh, so that's my seven, six, and five. We'll hear Josh. What's your seven, six, and five? All right, and I'm back again. And leading with number seven is Brian Duffield's Spontaneous, another fucking directorial debut on my list. And I'm happy to be fact checked on some of the previous ones, but I know this for a fact. Brian motherfucking Duffield, you creative genius. This film, starring Australia's own Catherine Lamford and Charlie Plummer as the leads in the plethora of other like teens from multiple movies and not really teens they're playing teens but you know this is a film nailing it down on the head it's a love story but with explosions a lot of kids exploding and i do know it's based on a book i cannot remember the author's name but this adaptation is again like brian duffield's many other scripts just tone so tonally tightrope rock it's and, and that's of tone, just of style. Like it, he's like his other scripts. I am in love with this one. I cannot wait to read his annotated notes because apparently he's making a book. But this film is so sweet and and it's horrific and sad and longing. But such a beautiful film for like 2020 as well. Because I know this film got delayed. It got made a few years ago and then got delayed and pushed back. But you don't see that. You don't feel like because I, I never fact, in my opinion, 2020 is like sort of. Sort of, there, there's definitely that sort of war and border between like pre 2020 and post 2020, but this has fit right in and was such a beautiful f- reflection of today, the last few years, and boost for the future as well. Like, and that's what's so beautiful about it. While also just being a great tight teen comedy with exploding kids. Even though these are ranked, I don't feel like these rankings are set in stone. Like, I'll move these around. And add more definitely because I'm definitely missing out on so many other films like like His House, if I said it right, and Run for another example. There's so much I still haven't seen. But and moving on to number six, which is Palm Springs, directed by Max Barbaco, which I hope I pronounced it right, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Rolotti. This was released, I believe, earlier this year in America, like near the beginning of the pandemic. But us in Australia only got it like a month ago a month and a half ago, and 
I was immensely excited for this. I was like, it's another... So if you don't know what the premise of this movie is, it's sort of like a Groundhog Day sort of skewed sort of comedy. But I was so excited for this, and I my expectations were met. I loved this movie, not only for the performances, just for the comedy. The directing was, like, not, not even surprising, but just top-notch. Again, like, I'm just so in love and gushing about all these movies on my list, and... It's hard to even, like, articulate a coherent form of just word-vomiting just my love and passion for these movies because they are just been such a great escape from this year and every single one is such a special place in my heart. But, ah, uh, this, this movie is really good and, in my opinion, I enjoyed this more than Groundhog Day. I thought the sort of execution of the sort of science fiction element of it and the emotional core of the movie just works so well and Andy Samberg and Kristen Malone but Andy Samberg fucking top notch performance and balance of like this is like sort of skewing to what he usually plays cheekiness of it but he has such he brings so much more depth to it as well and I'm just so happy to see it because I want to see more him doing more this sort of thing as well. Yeah, the I don't want to spoil anything or elaborate on it too much. If you've seen the trailer, it's on Amazon Prime, so if you've seen the trailer, that's essentially, it's actually decently non-spoilery and you just go in. Or oh, don't even watch the trailer. It's just, just know, this is like a more modern Groundhog Day-esque comedy with, in my opinion, a bit more depth, a bit more charm and a greater payoff. We're halfway there with number five and this film, my God, so good, I had to see it twice in the cinema, and it was one of the very last films I saw pre-COVID, and that is Birds of Prey, parentheses, and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, close parentheses. Holy fuck, this is a superhero film that will stick in the minds, at least in my mind, and all our gay hearts for many years to come, because what a fucking roller coaster of awesomeness this was, and that's... That's put that on the fucking poster. Kathy Young, you are awesome and fabulous, and your direction was top notch again. And top notch is the key fucking phrase I'm using for most of my films because that I believe is accurate. So yeah, this is sort of DC's I don't another entry into the DC sort of movie universe because now that's what they're calling it. There's many they're skewing it up in many different ways. This is sort of a pseudo sort of like soft sequel to Suicide Squad. It doesn't sort of directly contradict anything, but my God, does it improve upon everything to do with Harley Quinn. And that's just thanks to Margot Robbie's sort of involvement as a producer, and I believe as a co-writer, or at least involved in the writing process. And and she was never the issue with Harley Quinn in the first place. She nailed that. But I just love to see her take that character, whom she, like, loves so much, and, like, really develop it properly. And, like, it, it's her baby, and it's her, her world, and she's kick ass at it this other cast oh my god dare i mention you and fucking mcgregor just my my dear crush of life you and mcgregor mary elizabeth winstead and my other like fucking child across junie um Smiley. i godly hope i pronounced her last name correctly even her first name i'm so sorry if i didn't um uh, rosie Perez and like chris mancina rocking that fucking bleach blonde look and being creepy as fuck so yeah, anyway, this film and cast, everything, is such huge improvement upon Suicide Squad and upon most of the entries into the DC Universe. This is top tier for me. This is, like, what's leading the, the run 
of DC films for me and for superhero films over the last few years. Like, I went into this quite excited because I was like, I knew. Like, I was like, oh, Margot Robbie's producing as a female director. There's, it's, it seems to be like not contradicting anything, but seems to be really selling a particular tone style and it delivered like to the max. <laughs> it delivered to the max and it's such a great simple story but executed it with so much visual flourish, like beautiful, goddamn gorgeous scene transitions, amazing fight choreography, the heroes in the film and like like which are all, you know, obviously women and like they all have agency and they all have their own motivations and it all like sort of pays off in this beautiful rich way. Um and it's only, it's under two hours as well, which is another fucking tick for a superhero movie as well. It, it gets it wrapped up neatly. And I say neatly, which is fine, because the movie is anything but neat in terms of just style. But, yeah, if you haven't seen this, I, and if you're, like, a bit unsure about DC films, like, honestly, it's like, start with this, and you are gonna go downhill, but, like, you'll still always have this, and I'm... Happy to say I'm excited to see what comes next from Kathy Yan, both involved with DC, but also outside of it. Very nice. I will find out what they are <laughs> again once I edit this together. Uh, so we're getting nearly to the end of the list. So four, three, and two. Peter, what is your pick? So my number four pick is, I don't know how many people have seen this movie or heard of it. It's called Cicada. Yes. Yes. Um, you told me about this one. Yeah. It's, um, again... Queer cinema, yeah. Um, it's a it's a, it's a New York love story that toes the line between narrative and documentary, with two actors reliving parts of their own experiences. And you can very much tell that this is a personal film, deeply personal. Um, film. and I get like the documentary thing. I was like, it's very close to being a documentary. Um, but I mean, you've obviously got there's little additives like you've got Kobe, Kobe Smulders as this. Um, therapist who is just the worst therapist because it's all very like she, <laughs> oh god yeah. she's like she doesn't give a, a shit about what he's saying she's like you know um but this movie I was like this movie to gay men this movie yeah. will resonate um yeah. it's like the the way that he's kind of kind of promiscuous and it's very easy to to do that. And, um, but then, and then being intimate is yeah. where he struggles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you realize why he struggles, and you're like, oh, like the whole movie, you just like, there's something, you're like, there's something here. Yeah. There's something going on with this guy. And then all throughout it, you hear this sort of news reports of, um, I don't know if I should say it because I don't know how many people are going to see yeah, this movie. Yeah. Um, but you hear news reports of a particular sexual abuse case and, it's you know you're sort of thinking okay that there's a reason that this is kind of the only ambient sound that we're hearing from yeah. TV in certain scenes, um, and then like the person that he hooks up with has their own sort of PTSD from being attacked because of being a black man, yeah, um, and really has nothing to do with his sexuality. It's purely race, yeah, which is horrifying. Um, so you just got these two like incredibly broken people who find each other and it's there's this there's like this beautiful little love story but they're yeah. just like they're just like self-sabotaging half the time yeah you know yeah, which you is do. also again something that gay men can very much relate to and wonderfully frank sex scenes I thought, yeah as well. and sex scenes that don't aren't like perfectly sexual as uh, well which is like 
that's what sex is. Like, yeah. I don't know anybody who's just like, oh, we had perfectly lit sex. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. like everything went the way it was. Like, no, this is messy figuring out your rhythm with this other person. Yeah. Um, it was, it, I, like this, I knew nothing about this movie. I saw it through the Queer Screen Festival. Same. So when you told me about it, I was like, yes, yeah. okay, um, like beautiful beautiful movie and the two main actors are just like yeah and and the main uh the main character he wrote and and directed directed it as well matthew pfeiffer i think yes yes yeah um and then he took a lot of the plot about the the other character from stuff that he had the actor had told him about his life yeah then he put that on. yeah because i um i then sort of started digging into um the the co-star and sort of found out how... Oh, of course. Oh, of course I did. He's a beautiful <laughs> black man. Why wouldn't I? Um, and found out just how wow. how personal this was. So, wow. Yeah. Um, my number three... Is that what we're up to? Yes. yes. Number three, Sound of Metal. Okay, interesting. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, no, I... I just the, like the Riz Ahmed vehicle about a metal drummer who, who starts to go deaf. deaf. Um, and, okay, so when I watched it, I was like... Oh no! The the subtitles are a deliberate thing. They've yep. made this movie so that deaf people can watch it all the way through. Um, Riz Ahmed is. I was like, if he's not in the actor race, then yeah. I think there's something inherently he's wrong. Very good. He's so good. Um, I, it's one of those things. I don't know why I responded to it as much as I do. I yeah. have. I have. Most no, people like, have. I I didn't respond to it the same way. I think a lot of people. I think. I was just wanting them to, I think, because A, I was writing something about a deaf guy years and years ago, and I, okay. w- my sort of initial plan for I'm not going through with it, yeah. uh, my initial plan for it was to basically be exclusively from his point of view, so all your sound mix. So you would either knock out the sound completely or it or, would be muffled or whatever he's yeah, going yeah. to be hearing. Yeah. And I wanted this film to do that 100% of the time. Okay, yeah. Um, and I understand why it didn't, because there's only so much an audience will tolerate of that. I think it was very much like... We'll be as experimental as we can for a mainstream audience because yeah. we do still need we still need that mainstream money. For yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, but I, I loved the the change in when he it's like it's from his perspective and then it immediately cuts to what everyone else is hearing. Yeah. Um, I thought the scenes like the scenes with him and I think it's the guy Paul, the Paul Fauci. I hope that, he's getting he's, enough he's buzz getting buzz that I'm like absolutely like I saw that movie and was like okay Riz Ahmed pretty much guaranteed I was like we definitely need to be talking about this guy yeah. the guy that plays his mentor. mentor yeah um at the the deaf camp um and even Olivia Cook she's so good like she doesn't really have too much to do but she elevates a very thinly written part yes. and makes it her own yeah and she, like you can like the like you can just see the love that she has for Riz Ahmed's yeah. character, and she's like, "I just want you to be better, like to get better, and you need to focus on you, and I need to not be selfish and let you do that." And you know, she's like, "There's a lot of backstory going on with her, yeah, you know." And I like that there's like just these little hints that you know she's self-destructive and self-abusive, um, and he's kind of saved her a little bit, you know. Um, yeah. No, I just. So it's streaming yeah. on Amazon Prime, by the way. Yes. So, uh, so there it is. Available worldwide available. Yep. And I definitely recommend it. Yeah. It has very Star is Born vibes yeah. in terms of the visuals. I, yes. I definitely like felt kind, that way. Yeah, a little bit pale, sort of, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah. So, um, and I mean, it will never get a Star is Born reaction. No, sadly. It will. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I just... And I'm glad to see Riz Ahmed in a lead role in a worthy project. Yeah. Because, you know, like, he came out, like, Nightcrawler, he came out, and we were like, okay. Yeah. There's something about this guy. I mean, we're all like, it's Jake Gyllenhaal, so obviously you've got a lot Focusing to... For, you know. Yeah, yeah, Um, And then, you know, it was like, he, he did, did that... T- then it, what, he did um, in The Night Of is the thing that yeah. woke him out and he won Emmys for it and yeah. then finally they cast him in, um, you know, the Star Wars thing. And, and then so, and like Venom and he was getting all of these, I mean, typical big budget movies that you would do as like a, an actor on the rise. You'd take all the big stuff. Yeah. And hopefully this will be like his chance to show that I'm a lead actor. I'm a capital I'm A, a actor. I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, and he's beautiful to look at. So. <laughs> Shirtless quite a lot in this film too. Yeah. Oh, Damn. <laughs> uh, and your number two. My number two, you have mentioned it is Possessor. <gasps> yeah. Nice. Um, oh, yeah. It's so it's good. It's so good. I, 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 the second I finished it, I'm like, I have to rewatch this film very soon. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. I Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I saw it. I got a, I had a screener on to watch it, so I could only sort of see it the once. Um, and it really stuck with me. And then I know that we got it in cinemas here, and I really wanted to see it again. I just never got to it. So late in like one session, it was kind of like this. Yeah, Um, but I, I, I found it on 4K, and I'm like, I'm really tempted to buy it because I think that'll look amazing in 4K. Some of those, I love how he does the shots of the city, and he like they start rolling yeah. in a way. I was like, oh, this is how you use B-roll footage. I've never seen B-roll footage shot like this. Yeah, and um, like the, and like the, the poster image of um, Andrew Rasborough's face just being melting. As a and I was like, okay. Oh. And then that scene is in the movie. Yeah. And why it's happening, you just go, oh. oh the, uh, the, the, it has, for my money, the scariest... Um, like most unnerving, scary sequence in a movie this year, which is the uh, pulse test oh. scene. That got me so like, ugh. like yeah. Well, I mean, we can't stress enough that if you're like, if you're, if you wince or if you're adverse to violence, this is not your. Don't film. watch. I mean, the story. It's. I mean, it's a amazing sci- science fiction story. It's amazing horror movie. It's amazing thriller. It's even like a really like a relationship yeah. drama. Like yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on, but it is insanely violent. Yeah. Um. So if you yeah if you if you've got a weak stomach, just you know, and it's not like you can watch like you can turn away because the scenes they they're extended scenes of violence. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, it's but it's not violence for the sake of just being violent. Like it feels necessary. Yeah. I mean, with an I mean, it's Cronenberg, so he's always going to embellish. Yeah. Um. I want no. to see his other film. He did something called Antiviral, which now yes. I want to go and hunt uh, down and yeah, see yeah. after seeing Possessor. Um, Possessor's much better. Oh, okay, right. Um, but Antiviral, you watch it and go, okay, I, <laughs> I, I, I can, I okay. can see this. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh, yeah, just blew me away this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. This is the thing: is that like all of my honorable mentions and my top ten are basically on par with each other. Like I, these aren't ranked in terms of quality for me. Yeah, really. it's it, it is very like I was looking at it going. Apart, like it's up there towards maybe like the eight, nine, tens, where I was like, um, these would never be number ones. Yeah. But movies that I didn't even mention as honorable mentions, I was like, there's there was so much good stuff this yeah. year. Like, I don't want people thinking because we didn't get big 
blockbuster movies that this year was a write-off because it yeah, wasn't. It absolutely You know, wasn't. like you'll probably be listening to this and going, never heard of half these movies and be like, that's the point. I, go and, and you know, go and, see, and seek, go them, and seek out. them out because they're really good. You know? um, my number four pick is Emma. Oh, I, I, this was a movie I wasn't expecting like, cause I'm not a, Big Jane Austen. I, I was like, I debated with this one about whether. To, <laughs> oh my god! I I I'm not a big Jane Austen fan. Yeah, but I'd heard good reviews or something like that, and I went and saw it um, when I was in in Perth. I was mm. like, because I, I was between screenings, and I was literally my hotel was right next to a cinema, so I was just like, ah, might as well. I'd already seen the city like the day before, so I was like, yeah. okay, I'll go see uh, Emma, and then I'll go see Birds of Prey. Yeah, and Emma was just. Oh, was that the double feature? Yeah, that was my oh double my feature. Oh my god, so good! Absolute joy. Uh, directed by Autumn DeWilde and written by Eleanor Cotton. And Autumn DeWilde, she never directed a film before. She'd done some music video stuff, and now she's this is her first feature. And you're film. like, this is this is a movie that like you look at it and go, oh, this actress, this director's probably done like you know. Yeah. Ten movies or something. No, like yeah, it's she's so she's fantastic. It's so beautiful to it, look at. So good. Um, it stars uh, the fantastic. Um, oh god, uh, Anya Taylor. Anya Taylor Joy, yeah. who also did a really great job in the Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit. Watched that. that yes, yeah. that was a great thing from this year. But um, and it's just Emma, but it's maybe one of the best Jane Austens ever made. Yeah, <laughs> and like I, it's one of those movies where you just go, even if you if you hear it and just go oh, Jane Austen, be like, no, no. It's it's funny. It's, it was. It is deeply funny. I was not expecting it to be as funny as it was because yeah. I remember seeing the trailers going, okay, it kind of looks a bit quirky. And also, I was like, Anya Taylor Joy has a certain quality about her. It was like she can be unlikable. Like you yeah. look at her and just go, is this like Emma? But she's like super super bitchy. Yeah, and you know the character does some very because she's not a good. She's, she's not, not a, a good. good she's character. not nice. She's selfish. Like, yeah. <laughs> And Anya Taylor-Joy doesn't shy away from No. That. So I was a bit like, oh, I wonder if it's going to be Emma, but like, you know, not the Emma that we're expecting. Not trying to make everyone But she's actually, beautiful. like, she's so good in this. Yeah. And, he, and all the supporting roles, Miranda Hart. Oh, Miranda Hart. And she has one of the best moments in this film that really that just, movie, like, that, sucks the breath out of that, you unexpectedly. That, that was one of those scenes where the reaction in the cinema when she says the line yeah. and you see Miranda Hart's face... And it was you, and everyone in the cinema was just like, <gasps> "What's wild is it." The movie gets you behaving like you were in those times where yeah. a line, because like, nowadays someone says that it's going to be like, yeah, oh, whatever, fuck you." you yeah, know? yeah. But like, oh, yeah. it got you to the point where you were scandalized. Yeah, by it. I, and, and I just loved it. Miranda Hart is the perfect casting choice. For she, that. I, she is one of the most like likable yeah. people. Yeah, like if you. By the way, if you haven't seen the show Miranda. It's on stand. It's one of it's the best shows. It's one of the best sitcoms. classical sitcoms ever made. Like yeah. it's hilarious. And she was she's she embodies that character so well in Emma. Yeah. Like she's just like she's so happy and cheerful yeah. and like and that's why the line is like it 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 breaks you. Yeah. Um and yeah. the love interest actor was very swoonworthy. Yeah. And they played all those like intense romance non-touching scenes yeah. so well. You yeah. just felt it. And oh Josh O'Connor as well. Oh showing up. So just he gives a, a, a grin and you're cacking yourself. And also like and you go, Josh O'Connor, like the God's own country, Josh O'Connor. Yeah. He is oh, he's so that? funny. And this whole like Bill Nye, yeah. who's just like Deadpan. The, the draft. Oh, there's a draft uh, there. Send the, it's, <laughs> the, it really is like... It's it's such a good it movie. Do, it's like it doesn't deserve to be as good as it is. No, no, no. You know? um, and I and I saw that one back in March and it's been in the top of my yeah. top 10 basically since then. 
Um, my number three, oh, movies. yeah, it's so good. Uh, my number three is the Netflix animated feature Over the Moon, oh, okay. which I went, I'd heard like good things about it, and it sort of uh, tells the story of a Chinese girl and all that kind of thing. So I was like, like I'm here for some interesting, diverse animated things, mm. as you know, um, <laughs> as opposed to some of these other white people driven diversity tales, yeah, um, uh, and I wasn't expecting to bawl my eyes out, and I okay. did. It's I I didn't know it was a musical until it started, oh, and then okay. it has these fantastic musical numbers. I'm like, yes. Oh, cool. uh, so it's directed by Glenn Keane and co-directed by John Cars, written by Audrey Wells, with additional dialogue by Jennifer Yee McDevitt and Alice Wu, who did um, the half of it. Yeah, okay. from, from earlier in my list. So I'm really like, you know, I didn't realize that until I sort of writing the list. I'm like, oh, Alice Wu had yeah, on the okay. But it tells the story of a young girl who um, builds a rocket to the moon to blast off, hoping to meet a mythical moon goddess to try and prove her existence to a family who doesn't believe her. Uh, and I won't tell you more than that because it does quite a really good job um, and it has a brilliant sort of up-esque opening sequence. And there is a musical is number. Is that why you cried? I, I, no. not necess- I cried because of the end because the end was just so beautiful. Okay, cool. Um, sort of the way I cried like in Paddington at the end, Paddington 2, uh, <laughs> the movie that we were destroyed. Can but, we um, please get a Paddington 3, by the oh, way? Oh, yes. And someone suggested... Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh yes. is the villain. And I was like, <laughs> yes. I'm there for... That's a thing. Um, but no, with Over the Moon, it, there's this... It, what's interesting is that narratively it jumps kind of into a lot of different things and they all gel well together in a way I think maybe some people don't necessarily like that they want a more streamlined American thing but it definitely felt like it was drawing from the culture that it was about Um, but there is a the the moon goddess she goes up to meet the moon goddess and the moon goddess has her big introductory pop smash number and it is I I have no idea why this isn't as big as an Ariana Grande number it is so perfect and brilliant and visually just the way they animated this it's 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 visually Visually astounding work because okay. she goes to the moon and they do their, their own uh, vision of the moon. Yeah, um, and it's it's great. I could I, I cannot rave about this movie enough, and okay. it has one of my favorite sort of animal companions of recent memory um, that even has their own arc in it. Like as oh, opposed nice. to just being the silly just being jokes the silly, or the reaction yeah, yeah. shot. Although there are some just phenomenal <laughs> reaction shots of a rabbit. It's so good, um, but has their own arc too. Yeah. And I, I loved it. I cried at the end. It was beautiful wow. and stunning. And I really wish I could see that on a cinema. I'm not yeah. going to get to. I want a DVD of it. I want special features. I'm not going to get any of that because it's a Netflix movie. <sighs> but I'm glad that it exists. Don't get me and it's, started it's from an on old, physical media. I think media. it's from an old uh, Disney animator. Ah, sort of, okay. Um, maybe I, th- I think maybe not a disgruntled Disney animator, but certainly <laughs> a Disney animator who wanted to kind of branch out Do from they, some of like, those things. Get um, out of the Disney... Brand, yeah, and it's. I cannot recommend it enough. Have you seen it? I haven't. No, watch it. It's beautiful. Okay. I, I definitely. I liked it more than I like Soul. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, so I feel like big pop, big pop numbers in Ariana Grande. I'm like, come on. Yeah. The, 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 it's this, it's, this. It's called um. Oh, what's the number? It's it's. I I am your, like illuminated or illumination or something like okay. that. Okay. She's she's the moon goddess. Yeah. She lights up the moon, and it's so beautiful. Cool. Um. And then my number two pick is also from Netflix, and it is His House. Ah, oh, yeah. Which is the horror film about uh, a couple from, I, th- I want to say it's Sudan. I, I did 
write this down. A refugee couple making a harrowing escape from war-torn South Sudan, mm. but then they struggle to adjust to their new life in an English town that has an evil lurking beneath the surface. They're yeah. in sort of this community housing, and there's something in the walls that's haunting them. Oh, Did you see this? There's so many movies. My God. Have you seen this? I one? haven't seen it yet. Oh, I've Yeah unsettling and one of the best horrors it, it yeah. left me this was like for a long time my number one was there and this is the only one that came close to being like my number one I do count as my number one yeah yeah ranked wise and then everything else is sort of just below just but below, his house yeah. came the closest the to closest, this because yeah. it's so it's it's not a horror film in the blah blah scary movie great pl- you know like thing. Yeah. It, it's definitely an atmosphere which thing. I think is why people a lot of people complain because I was like if I want a horror movie where's my like where's my Serial killer in a mask and blood yeah. and gore. And, and it's not, yeah. there's not a lot of levity in this one as yeah, well, okay. which I guess I understand, but there's levity in other things. Like, it's like sometimes, sometimes you don't want it. Sometimes this is definitely, a horror movie just needs to yeah. be a horror movie. This is definitely in the hereditary brand of horror yeah. where it's quite intense all the yeah. time. And there's some phenomenal scenes. Some of the most intense scenes have nothing to do with the supernatural presence that is haunting them. Okay. Um, although that stuff I found really compelling. It's visually astounding. I cannot believe this is a first film because okay. it's shot with the expertise of someone with like decades under their belt, just like Emma, you're like, this is someone with decades under their damn belt and they're pulling this off. And there's this phenomenal dinner table sequence that then turns into an ocean and just the performances, the, the lead actress who's, uh, I would butcher the name if I, if I pronounce it, because I'm very, (laughs) very, uh, ineloquent. Um, but both the performances, but I definitely found hers because he, um, sorry, uh, Wunmi Masaku is her name. And so, Sope. Irisu, I hope I'm pronouncing those correctly, uh, play the main couple. And yeah. um, the, the the woman, she has this different reaction to the suits because Supernatural Presence is more so going after the man. And then she comes in, she has this great line where she's like, after all the shit you've seen, do you think a ghost is scary? Yeah. Like, and there, there's this horrendous, I won't spoil this one, there's a horrendously unnerving scene set in like a community hall um, during sort of a dream sequence that mm. just destroys you okay and it's phenomenally well shot but it's really like i cannot say enough good and matt smith is in it oh, presumably yeah, yeah. as that he then gets the budget because he's in a tiny little supporting role yeah. as sort of the, but the the minder of the couple you know the one the government person to oversee this thing. you imagine at least they would have been like well we've got a not a name but we've got someone who at yeah. least will we can get a bit of backing for this yeah so, yeah. yeah yeah and but they it feels like it was made on like 20 30 million dollars it's so good and unnerving and unsettling and important viewing, especially in Britain where their racism is on the rise. <sighs> uh, yeah, it's, I cannot recommend enough. It's on streaming on Netflix worldwide. Yep. Go watch it now, immediately. Uh, Josh, what are your four, three, and two? We're on the home stretch now, and at number four, one of my favourite films of the year, Freaky, directed by Christopher Landon, whom you may know as the director of Happy Death Day, both parts one and two. Or Happy Death Day to you. This film, oh my god, again. I saw this, this came out in Australia, I think, actually, sorry, globally, like, only a few, like a month or two ago, or a month and a half ago. This was fucking awesome to see. Catherine Newton, Vince Vaughn, all the other cast, like, top notch again. All the films on my list, I've been so impressed with all the casting in terms of, like, how they fit within their roles and break against the type of roles they play and just insane that. Vince Vaughn really fucking breaks type in this and really goes to bat in terms of, and I guess I should say why, is because this is not only a slasher movie, like a comedic slasher movie, but is it is a body switch movie. 
If you don't know, this was originally called Freaky Friday the 13th. You know, a play on both Friday the 13th, it's a slasher, and Freaky Friday. It's been remade like a dozen times, but yeah, now shortened to Freaky. This is like, so essentially a killer packing a young girl with a sort of mystic object and end up swapping bodies. So the rest of the film plays out with the teenage girl soul inside Vince Vaughn's body and the killer's soul inside the teenage girl's body and this is done so fucking well in terms of like horror, suspense, laughs, just everything, an actual genuine heart and earnestness. This film is so earnest and so sweet at times and horrific and brutal. Some of my favourite representation and just some of my favourite executions of just like scenes, casting, yeah, this has definitely had to, this instantly sort like the opening two minutes five minutes like instantly slotted this film into my top of the year and i'm so happy for it and i'm really hope christopher landon does plays around in this world more and in the happy death day world and maybe a crossover world and just in general what he does next because he's one of my favorite directors and he's a queer director and he's such an inspiring person and director right now and i'm so happy and just just making me gush again but this film was so much fun and yeah, it's another horror on my list. Like most of my lists so far has been either horror or comedy adjacent. Of course are the two sides of the same coin and but this is this one is the blending of both and it's easy for this to go wrong, but this like again, another type rope walk, kinda like spontaneous. And the writer of this film I give him so much credit for that too. I think his name is Michael Kennedy, I believe I follow him. I don't yeah, Michael Kennedy and uh, some of the stories I know about his process of writing this and the sort of what he embedded in it, like, for his personal life is just so heartening and, like, he did such an amazing job and I just want to give him credit as well because the writing is stellar. Yeah, this is one I'll be picking up and watching again and again and again and again. And coming in at number three is Gretel and Hansel, directed by Oz Perkins, whom you guys don't know is the lovable tall guy from Legally Blonde who helps Elle reach the top of the shelf and she helps some ladies and they don't deserve him because he's too sweet. You don't know as well, he is Anthony Perkins, aka Norman Bates' son. And yeah, he's a sort of established sort of indie horror director. Out of the two of his films I've seen, this is like, in my opinion, so, 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 so good. I was not a fan of I'm the Pretty Thing that lives in the house. That may never be the title because I just drove it from my memory. It was... So not my cup of tea, but this, in direct contrast, is, again, aesthetically, performance-wise, execution of the editing and direction and lighting, the the design of the world, the texture of the entire world and texture of the piece. I'm just in love with this film. And yeah, it it lists itself as as a grim fairy tale, kind of like a play on words there, and it truly is. But just even in the way, like, they speak in the film and lead you on this journey, it's very dreamlike and... And then once you get to the witch and you see how he sort of designed sort of and sort of retold the sort of trappings of the tale, it's gorgeous and disgusting and disturbing, but so, so, so good. And I was very happy with the ending of the film and just like the runtime again is like, it's another short, like 90 minutes. And I love myself a long film as well. Like, don't get me wrong, but the the way they did it, it's just, again, amazing. That's my... Another one of my words, amazing, top-notch. And now, unfortunately, it's only been released on DVD in Australia, which is one of the, like, the best shot films of the year. Hopefully, I'm going to score an international Blu-ray because that's my plan. And we have reached the pen ultimate number two on the list of the top ten of the year. And, my God, two, I, like I said before, nothing on this list is set in stone. I don't really believe in the ranking of them. They're all, like, 
equal and beautiful in my mind's eye, but this, if I did have to really set things in stone, this and number one are definitely my tops of the year. They, like, what come to mind when I think of this year in films, like, instantly, in terms of, like, the emotional impacts on it, and this one is Lee Whannell's The Invisible Man, which I saw just before the pandemic really bloomed, and... Fortunately, took over the world and caused so much tragedy and trauma. But speaking of trauma and tragedy, this film has it in spades, absolute spades. And this is of course a reimagining of not only the classic Universal Monsters sort of um, Invisible Man character and films and sequels over the years, but also a reimagining of H.G. Wells' original original tale. So this adaptation is from the perspective of not the Invisible Man, but Cecilia, a woman played by Elizabeth Moss, as she sort of escaped an abusive relationship. And, my god, the fear that is reaped out of perspective and trauma and, like, the real-world elements embedded just is what makes this film work and tick. And not only that, but, like, the supporting cast of um, Aldous Hodge, Storm Reid, Michael Dorman, and Oliver Jackson Cohen from Haunting the Hill House playing The Invisible Man, this top-tier horror that really just chills your spine and like is what left such a brilliant impact on me but i couldn't wait to get my hands on the blu-ray again and rewatch it so upsetting and so technically brilliant cinematography especially and just the movement of the camera and direction and lighting and all the all the technical elements are so pitch perfectly tuned into selling us this fear and this tale overall and i was so deeply impressed and lee when i was being like one of my favorite sort of writer performer directors for a while but this film really cements his sort of status and i'm glad he got so much recognition and praise for this because this is top notch and we're back for the number one picks the dun 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 drum roll please favorite movies of the year peter gray what is your favorite movie of the year uh my number one movie it's like it's weird because it's like my favorite movies of the year are always different from like the movies that i think are the best yeah you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. i'd like birds of prey would probably be like up there as my favorite but um, so my number one movie of the year is Nomadland. Right. Yeah. I just saw this one yesterday. Um, yeah. Like, again, a movie that hits a lot harder in 2020. Oh, boy. Um, and very much a movie that feels like a documentary. Because the really between apart... Between the two is like... Yeah. Because seamless. really, apart from Frances McDormand and David Strathairn, Everyone else is a real person. Is a real person, and they're all real nomads. Have you seen her other film, The Writer? Right, yes, yeah, yeah. It's on Netflix in so, Australia at the moment. Yeah, Chloe Zhao is so far she's two for two. Yeah, and um, watch, she's got another film that she's made, I think, in Chinese, and I cannot find, I cannot uh, get access okay. to it. It's on Prime in like America, and that's it. And I cannot access it on DVD. Uh, okay, you cannot even get it illegally. Like that is how hard this movie is to get, and I'm really, really, really mad. Um, but no, like it's it's like. It's, Sim- oh no, it's Songs My Brothers Taught Me. So oh, it's an okay. American one. Yeah. Um, simplest plot. Like, there's not really much to this movie plot-wise yeah. um, when you sort of look at it as an overall. Um, and, you know, like, when it opened, when it opens with the statistic that this town... Got like, wiped out. Got wiped out because of the, the, the plant shut down. Yeah. And basically the whole town, like, they were all... They were all like workers of this plant. So when that shut down, the town just dissipated. The zip code was discontinued because the whole town literally just didn't exist anymore. 
So everyone kind of went in to do their thing. And Francis McDormand is, you know, just goes from town to town trying to find seasonal work. So like when you see her, there, there's packing up at Amazon, like at an the, Amazon there are warehouse. No more terrifying shots this year than the shots of the Amazon warehouse. Yeah. I just wanted to cry. So it's like this math, like this ridiculous warehouse. All of these people packing boxes for sh- for stuff that you're like that all these people that have ordered that they don't need, you yeah. know, and it's like... And getting paid peanuts. You know, and then they go off and have to find... More work. More work, you know. Um, and I just, yeah, I just love that it's just this woman who wants to find happiness the way that she wants to find happiness. And if that's not necessarily what other people think is happiness, then that's okay. Beautifully um, shot. Um, I think when she said, I'm not homeless, I just don't have a home. We yeah. don't have a house. That I'm was, houseless. Yeah, I'm houseless. I was like, that is, it's, that's It's telling. a movie that understands America in a way that very few movies do. <laughs> it's like a movie that understands America better than America understands itself. Correct. Um, yeah. The shots of the landscape. Oh, it, it really is like a beautiful film to look at. Yeah. You know, like when she's just like lounging in the lake yeah. under the waterfall and like driving across country. And then, but then you've got scenes where she like goes to see a family that are just incredibly uncomfortable because you can yeah. tell that they don't agree with her lifestyle. And she's like, what's it to you? Yeah. You know? And she lives in this, like she lives, she, she seems happy, mm. you know? And I think a lot of people are like, but you don't have a home and you don't have like possessions. And it's like, it's okay not to yeah. have those things, you know? Uh, uh, the, another scene that gets an audible gasp when the box breaks that everyone knew immediately that that was like, <gasps> yeah. Moment. And then you feel really bad for David Strathairn when she's really angry at him. Yeah. Um, cause he doesn't know. Cause he doesn't know. Bless his heart. Uh, it made me want to go back and watch good night and good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Just seeing him. In this, I was like, Oh yeah, he's really good. Um, and you know, again, it's like Francis Dormand will absolutely be in the, in the running. There's like no yeah, way. Yeah. Um, and basically like, I haven't seen all of the female performances that I want to see. Cause there's mm. one that I very much want to see that I won't be able to see till March. Oh, what one's that? French exit. Oh yes. The Michelle Pfeiffer one. Which uh, I'm like, she's the one that deserves an Oscar right now. <laughs> I don't care if I haven't seen it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like, I feel like Francis McDormand potentially has her third Oscar. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where you go, I'm not going to be surprised. But yeah. there are a lot of other people that can get nominated this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, like, Chloe Zhao, like, oh, oh she, my God. If she's not nominated at the very least, yeah. We cry foul because yeah. this, there's no way that this isn't just one of the most exquisitely shot movies. Yeah. You know. And, and exquisitely, like, felt. Yeah. Oh, she you gives can... the time to the things that people don't give time to. Like, this movie. feels really personal to something that you like have like you go Francis McDormand, you know, and Chloe Zhao. I feel like this isn't a lifestyle that you've experienced. Yeah. But she, the way she immerses herself into her, her subjects, the way she did with the writer and the way she did with that means that it's nothing but honest. Yeah. So Uh, that, that's where her skill set lies and the blending of the real and the, and the scripted is, is flawless. I've never seen, I've seen some, try to do something similar and there's always a hard line between the two yeah. and she blurs that so easily. Like effortlessly. there are times when you forget that Francis McDormand is Francis McDormand. Yeah. Like when she's just talking to, um, 
I forgot the name. It's like a really, it's like swanky. Yeah, or swanky. Swanky. I think it's swanky. Um, when they're just talking, you know, and it's these women yeah. who are like, well, you're a new, you're a fresh nomad. You know, we've done this sort of thing. Yeah. And it, but you feel like you're just watching three women talking about their yeah. life. Like you never do that. And then you sort of have to go, no, it's Francis and Dorman. It's a movie. But that's how incredible it is yeah. that you never feel that you're watching a movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and again, not a movie that I was like, it's not a movie that I can relate to per se. Um, but obviously, but I very much appreciated. America it. needs to watch it. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but I've, it, I very much appreciated that it was basically saying, find your happy, however you can. And it doesn't matter what other people think. It's like, yeah. if this is what you want to do, then just look inward to yourself and find it. Like, yeah. I think that's really great. As like sappy as that too. <laughs> uh, but no, just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my number one pick, and I've been raving about it since I saw it first in June, is the tiny little independent gay comedy called Straight Up, uh, which tells the story. So it's a chance meeting brings a nearly perfect couple together in LA, except that he's gay and she's not. Uh, compounding this is that he suffers through OCD as he house sits and she struggles to be accepted as an actress. Their otherwise rightness and is uh, obvious. But friends, especially those in the gay community, believe in the clear lines of sexuality being drawn. So it's basically a rom-com without the sex. And we I know someone on Twitter will be happy about that. No <laughs> <sex>. <laughs> um, well, what's fascinating is he sort of, he, he sits there and is like, I'm going to try and be straight now. And I thought just from, because I heard about this in a couple of festival things and I thought, I'll just, that premise seemed icky to me in a way where I thought it'd be um, tropey and, and, mm. and very um, kitschy. If, even though... Straight men, not straight men, gay men wanting to be straight is something I think a lot of gay men can relate to. Yes. Because you're like, you know, not that we have any shame in, well, in, shame the, is the key reason yeah, why. <laughs> there's not that we have any shame in being gay. It's like we have the shame of how it's perceived. Yeah. And you obviously, yes, being straight would obviously mean we'd have an easier life. Yeah. Um, but I don't know too many gay men that would actually say, I want to be straight. Yeah. So I get that um, the whole thing about wanting to be straight with mm. air quotes, meaning like to make it easier for myself to live, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and in the story, because his whole thing is it's his relationship to sex that he has trouble with. And I've heard a couple of people sort of get upset that this film doesn't talk about asexuality in in a more prominent way. I yeah. mean, it's brought up quite clearly, but the thing is, is that he's not, it's not uh, an aversion to sex. It's his OCD that gets in the way. Yeah. He says, when I think about sex, I think about poop and I don't want to think about poop. And then <laughs> there's another scene about halfway through the film where there's a joke about two girls, one cup and he doesn't, he doesn't know what it is. And she says, Oh, it's about poop. And he's like, Oh no, 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 don't yeah. say it, don't say it, don't say it. So it's his OCD is getting in the way rather Which, than, he, I mean, he's got a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but this film, so it's written, directed and, and starring this this young ass uh, Asian American director, they get Randall Park to come in and play his dad. Oh, Randall Park to play his dad. Um, and I'm weirdly sexually attracted to Randall Park. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's perfectly oh. acceptable. Um, but for him to be that young and to be pulling off this movie has yeah. it's a Wes Anderson vibe. They shoot it in like four by three Academy ratio when it's got this very symmetrical framing. But what's really great is it's so tied into the character because they shoot Todd, the main guy, mm. like this, and then they shoot Rory handheld they they it, oh, the style okay. matches the person that they, they're in the perspective of it yeah, in one time okay. and they do this there's phenomenal like there's this phenomenal split screen sequence where the camera starts with them together and then splits into so two things okay. and just it's visually it's it's one of the most 
phenomenally directed things I've ever seen. Yeah. Like he's that young and doing it just makes me don't immensely you, jealous. Don't you hate that? Because like, they did oh, it. It's, I know people. it's a micro budget somewhere in the realm of under under 800,000, under 500,000, yeah. I think, even. Wow. But this did quite well in a couple of queer festivals. And then just as they got a cinema release, COVID hit. COVID and hit. Kind of destroyed them. But I went and bought this on uh, a hideously expensive DVD off of Amazon because I had to get it imported. It's like $45 for a DVD, oh. but it's not available on Blu ray. Mm. <sighs> really mad. But I needed to own oh, this one because it's one of my favorite films and and uh, the other big thing is they they're talking at like lightning fast speed like a an old uh, screwball comedy okay. it's banter 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 they're talking unbelievably fast they joke about Gilmore girls in the movie they joke, you know so it's, that's where it's clearly coming from that sort of vibe yeah. and and her and him just do a phenomenal she's from um uh did you ever watch how to get away with murder mm-hmm. she's the one who comes in to be with Wes uh after the first girl dies uh, her name is uh, not so James Sweeney is the lead actor, and she is her name's Katie Finlay, um, and she's shown up in this. But she actually gets to really kind of play a role, and she's playing an actress. And she, you know, they cut to her doing like some dodgy auditions for these really poorly written female characters, and there's just these phenomenal jokes about that. Um, I'll put the trailer in the show notes and everything like that, and it's streaming on Netflix in America. So if you have a VPN or like I do, or, you know, you're in America, highly recommend it. I've been raving about this film to as many people as I can. Every time I get an op, every time someone's like, what's a movie you really like from this year that not enough people are talking about? I'm like, straight up, straight up, straight up, straight up. So good. Uh, it, it's phenomenal film. I have already rewatched it like three times now. It's perfect. It is so well directed. It is queer excellence and is my number one film of 2020. Josh, what's yours? And here we are. My number one pick of the year is The Personal History of David Copperfield. And I don't want to mispronounce his last name, but the film was directed by Armando, who directed The Death of Stalin a few years back. The film stars Dev Patel as David Copperfield, Peter Capaldi, Ben Whishaw, Tilda Swinton, Gwendolyn Christie, Hugh Laurie, Anthony Welsh, Many are Benedict Wong, like so many others, and it's brought me to absolute tears. And like I said with the Invisible Man, this one, even though every film is again equal, this one, if I think about films in 2020, this one cements itself as the heart of 2020 film in my mind. And I, I know I've still missed out on a couple, of, like a few films this year. But I don't think this will change because everything just from the ground up on this film worked for me. Um, the score is gorgeous. I listen to it on repeat all the time. The performances, the script, the comedy, the costuming, the goddamn scene transitions is something to behold. It's so massively done. And this works so well with the lighting, the way it's sort of executing the story and telling the story. Like, again, Liam and Elsie, this, like, it's perfectly tuned. And this is what I love about films that actually have a voice and actually use the cinematic grammar and language to actually tell the story instead of just shooting things like a play. Like, we're making films here, and this is, this is the point. And this film is represent that on every level. And I'm so in love with this. Again, it's another one of those things where it did not get a Blu-ray release in Australia and I believe that's criminal. That's just disgusting to me and I will be purchasing a Blu-ray when I can internationally. If you do want to check it out, still check it out. DVD and VOD and like enjoy the hell out of this because how can you not? Debatel is just on another level in this and everyone in the cast is gorgeous. I'm attracted to everybody, of course. This is... Of course, I could not go into this without being... 
been that way, but <laughs> God, this movie just made me so happy. And it's a film I needed because I saw this again safely in a cinema, and I'm so glad I did because it plays so well big despite being so intimate. Yeah, I just knew this was going to be my favorite of the year, at least. Like, it just washed over me in all its beautiful glory. And yeah, this represents 2020 to me in terms of all, all the beauty. I'm so happy. <laughs> Such a great film. Sort of overwhelmed. And that's it. That's my list. That's to wrap it up in 2020. I know, again, I said I missed a fair few films just because I was so lost in the comfort of old films, like older films, should I say, both new to me and well-known to me. Like, I, I got to see so much this year when I was so happy about, but realistically, but like the films I did get to see that were released this year or released last year and distributed it later in Australia, like, I'm excited to check out the ones I missed and the ones that are on everyone else's list across the table here virtually because <laughs> I am somewhere else in my own home, not anywhere mysterious. No, 2020 was very rough, but the cinema was grand truly thank you to everyone who's listened to this podcast for the last like three years because it's for me personally finishing off i was still in uni when we started this and finishing off so many other projects and going through so many life changes and it's been such a cool experience and sort of experiment to see and like i love being able to grow some skill sets and i'm excited for what shady and i do next in terms of our film careers and in, in the podcast sphere yeah i'll be excited to bring you more like great sort of stories if i'm doing fictional stuff non-fictional stuff it'd be really fun to talk to you guys again and so yeah thank you and i just wanted to say stay safe out there for the last time from the mighty motion picture rangers back to you shane and have at it thank you <sighs> so that's that's it that's for a top 10 of 2020 and that's it for this podcast too sad face thank you so much for coming on and thank you for all your previous guest appearances peter you're yeah. one of my favorite guests oh stop. <laughs> uh no like it's just i mean it's always good to talk about movies with someone who actually watches watches them, them appreciates <laughs> them and you know if you're someone who if you have a differing opinion you at least like you respect that like yes. that's the thing that it's really hard to find when you if you don't like something then someone's people like, who hate the last jedi they're wrong <sighs> so, and oh, everyone who's like shitting on Wonder Woman eighty four, like bloody hell! <laughs> it's oh. a bit. It's a bit. I think it's an overreaction because in any other year it would be a. Even if they didn't like it, it would be a. Eh, that was whatever film. Like yeah. it's not like the worst it's, movie it's ever made because it's like they've been starved of blockbusters, and so and, now they get this one. And they get be this one, and that's it. You know, like ease up. Yeah. Jesus. But if you don't like that then yeah. it, there's so much like, indie stuff. It's and fine stories. if you don't like it. Just don't make make people feel like shit if they do like it. The same way that we don't make you feel like shit if you don't like something, you know. Unless it's the last Jedi. <laughs> it's case. just like yeah. But um but that's what I've appreciated because and not and appreciate. It's not like I'm never gonna see you again. Um <laughs> but that yeah, like that you just have a oh, an opinion you. that doesn't you know, you don't think you're better. Mm. than the other person if their opinion is but different. I, am <laughs> <laughs> I mean publicly you can and then privately just like they're wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, no. it's also been a great year. I think it's been a really fantastic year for for small like that's the thing is that like if big blockbusters if you're getting a bit fatigued of them, check out some of these tiny yeah. films because there's a lot of tiny films. Go to I don't know, go to like tiny little Vimeo on demand stuff that's made for no money and you'll find something weird and cool and yeah. different and it's not going to be the best film ever made, but, but it's I feel like every something. film doesn't have to be the best film ever made yeah. or then it's the worst film ever made. Like there is in between 
screens. And now that a lot of festivals are going virtual, like you can buy tickets to watch these movies yeah. and now you've kind of got no excuse yeah. because I'm like, so glad Q screen are now doing you online know, again next yeah, year. Yeah, like you can like regard I mean, regardless of where you are in the world, if VPNs definitely help, help you. <laughs> um, I know some festivals are actually like trying to stop that. I don't know why. I don't know how and I don't know why. Um but no, I just like twenty twenty it's really bizarre that twenty twenty has turned out to be one of the strongest years. It's one of the most for varied and different like my films previously have sort of veered to one way or the other but like this is one of the most like like, about half of these directed by women yeah a little less than half of them starring people who aren't white aren't yeah especially his his uh sorry uh straight up and um yep you know this you know queer film with an asian american lead like fantastic you know yeah uh and just the stories are weird and I love that. Yeah. I love how weird some of these Like, I really are. hope that these little films don't get overshadowed next year because obviously next year is looking like there'll be so many. So many. Although now June yeah. is not necessarily going to HBO Max. Apparently uh, he's like not happy because no one's happy about that deal. So it's clear. So he's not going to make enough no, money. To but make I yeah. kind of love that he's fighting it because... I do, but, you know, but I mean, Tenet kind of screwed the pooch on that, yeah. didn't it? I, at the same time, I'm well, like... I love Tenet, but... But at the same time, I don't like that they're referring to Tenet as a flop. It, it's like a it has, flop it, in the way that every other film, Nolan film, has been a hit. Yeah, but at the same time, I was like, you made $350 million in a pandemic. Yeah. So let's, like, not, you know... And it's funny, because now Wonder Woman 84, like, it made $16 million from cinema in America... And $85 million worldwide. And that, that's like, it's amazing. Wonder Woman 3, greenlit. So you just go, so how come $350 million for Tenet is a flop? And yet Wonder Woman 1984, the money it's made in its pandemic is not. I was like, mm. I don't, you know, like I love that we're getting Wonder Woman 3 yeah. after everything now. I was like, that's the best news ever. Suck yeah. it. But I just, I just don't like that Tenet's sort of being referred to as this like flop that like, ruined cinema chances. I'm like, it didn't. Mm. I was like, I, I think, like that you took a chance. I think they wanted Inception money. Yeah, and I was like, you're even, never going to get Inception money. Because, like, Interstellar did, like, five or six hundred, yeah. and I think they wanted it to hit there at yeah. least. And, and I was like, and I, and and I get like half that. Of that. You know, and I get that. But at the same time, you go, but you look at the state of the world. It was pretty great, too. And I, you just go, yeah, I, <laughs> I like, like that. Yeah. Like. Um, but, yeah, you look at the state of the world and go, it did... Phenomenal for phenomenal what it was for what it, for how with. for what it was dealing with, but I also love that Birds of Prey is now one of the top ten highest grosses of the year because yes. I really hated it. I really hated the storyline for that with its box being office money a, being a flop. Like what the like what it the was fuck? not a flop. It's a hit. It's, it's a, a hit. Giant hit. Uh, but thank you anyway. It's been a fantastic year for cinema. It's hopefully, you know, big changes coming, so we'll see how next year pans mm. out. But keep watching movies, everyone. I'm sure you'll hear from us again sometime, uh, Josh and I, in one form or another, and listen to other great, fantastic shows on That's Not Canon. It's a great network, and they've got so many shows for all different interests. Thank you guys so much for listening, and hopefully we'll see you again. In the f- we'll see you down the road. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.